Welcome to the Republican Professor. This afternoon in California, we have an incredibly special guest, Monique Dusan. Did I say your last name right? I feel like you just told me and I forgot already. You did. You did. It is Monique Dusan. Yes. Awesome. She's joining us from the Center for Biblical Unity. And man, I'm so excited to have this guest on. Thank you for being here, Monique. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, yeah, so super grateful. Thanks. Yeah. Well, gosh, the first thing people are wondering is, okay, you really are excited about this Monique lady. Well, why? Who is she? What does she do? So why don't I just let you describe what you do and, um, and we'll get into the conversation. Awesome. Um, I am Monique Dusan. I am the co-founder and president of the Center for Biblical Unity. I co-founded the Center for Biblical Unity in 2020 with my um, ministry partner, Krista Bontrager. I am by profession in social service. I went to a small university out here that you also went to, Biola University, and studied sociology. I am originally from South Los Angeles, South Central Los Angeles, and um, in my later teen years, moved up to a suburb of LA called North Hollywood and spent my time there until I moved to South Africa as a missionary in 2014. And I was there until 2018. I was there for four and a half years working with children and teachers impacted by violence and trauma. And when I moved back home, I moved back home to a very different um, United States than the one I left. Part of my history and upbringing includes what it meant to, to grow up in South Los Angeles. It meant being, you know, very pro-Black. It meant I am. Just in case you're not watching this and you're only listening to like an audio podcast, I'm black. Very good. So I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Um, if you weren't going to say that, I was going to describe you for everybody because a lot. That's very excellent. Excellent that you did that because uh, a lot of people are not watching on YouTube. Actually, yeah. most people don't, and so they might not uh, know how to describe you. Let me just. Can I describe a little bit what I'm seeing? Sure. You have a great background. I love that she's got books behind her, a sign that says family. Uh, there's like these pastel kind of Easter color thing going on. You got a kind of a church looking window with what appears to be like pastel flowers. It's very bright. And you, you wear glasses and you yes. have, you don't have short hair, but you don't have really long hair and it's like medium length. It, it goes past your shoulders and you, you have, uh, your hair is, uh, curled. I'm not sure yes. how to say that. I'm sorry. How, how now see, this it? is, this would be a whole other podcast, but these are called passion twists. And yes. And so they are also known, can be known as crochet braids. Uh Um, And so my hair is technically braided. Okay. I am African-American. And so I have melanin. I'm not particularly um, Mm -hmm. dark, darker skin, but I definitely am not lighter skin. I'm not, Uh you know, of like mixed ethnicity or by, by ethnic or anything like that. Um, 
and yeah, I, I I'm would sitting say down, you're so. pretty clearly black. I would say, yeah, Do you prefer yeah. African American to black or vice versa. Doesn't matter. Whatever people okay. tend to say, I say black is just honestly shorter. Um, <laughs> African American <laughs> is, I feel like the more proper quote unquote term, but I'm half Haitian. And so then you get into the African Haitian American, you know, it, no, and yeah. I, I don't. I personally, that's just my own personal opinion. I know everyone has varying opinions on it. If you were to just approach me and talk to me, I would say black, and I'd be fine if you said black. Gotcha. I have a friend, uh, older friend, who grew up on in. Well, I should say he grew up during apartheid in South Africa, but he's a British subject. He sounds like C.S. Lewis, and he looks more like C.S. Lewis than you do. <laughs> so, so he would be African-American as well, but yes. you would get a very, I, I never even knew he was from Africa, to be honest with you, because the guy's got a PhD from the University of London and he mm -hmm. sounds like C.S. Lewis. So, <laughs> so anyway. Well, it's interesting in South Africa, I would be considered colored. And so when I live oh, really? there, okay. um, people often would confuse me as being colored, not a problem, but colored isn't a word that we would use here anymore. Right. Not you anymore. Know? Yeah. When did we stop using that word? What was the story behind that? What, I, what wasn't a pardon? It wasn't like there was a meeting and then everybody said, okay, now everybody got the memo. Don't use colored anymore. Oh, look, it's about to take us down a whole road. I don't see, so actually the know. NAACP the still NAACP exists, still, though, right? the NAACP still exists and colored is still in their title. And yeah, so it's like of color now, like people say, they say of color. Yeah. So somewhere around there, there was like, I don't know. I missed that meeting. I never got it. But then I never said colored. So, but I, I listened to a lot of history and I read a lot of history. So I just was curious about when it's, when it changed or why I think the, the switch happened before I was born. But at one point we yeah. were like blacks were pan-African um, colored. There was Negro, you know, at first or, you know, way back. And um, so you, you have Negro, I want to say, then it was pan-African yep. and then it was colored. And then it was, I want to say African-American and somewhere in there. I've we got just throw black I've got and, books yeah. written by black people with the word Negro in the title. Mm -hmm. One's called Negroes with Guns. Robert, yes. uh, what's his last name? I forget his last name, but uh, he's a big name. Everybody would know him. He he actually he left America and moved to Cuba. <laughs> oh, but he was Not in the NRA, so he's like he will break your mind. Like you know, he used guns to fight the KKK. And actually the NRA, the NRA actually helped him get the guns. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, it's called Negroes with guns, Robert something. Yeah, um, there's the miseducation of the Negro. Okay. Um, there's, there, there are quite a few books um, on like the Negro mind and, you know, things uh, like that, but they're older books. Yeah, um, that's right. So, well, yeah, but I, I wasn't at the meeting either. I missed it. <laughs> so uh, what a, what a background. Um, why the Center for Biblical Unity? What's you obviously have a concern for the Bible. Yes. That that part of your Bible College of Los Angeles uh training stuck, obviously. But were you a Christian? Did you grow up a Christian? 
No, so I didn't grow up a Christian. I came into the church and to um, accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was about 16. And a friend just invited me to youth group. And that's, you know, I went to church and was not necessarily um, a diehard Christian. But later on, I feel like after being in university and serving God and growing in my relationship with God, then yes, like I, I truly love the Lord and wanted to serve him so much so that I traveled Southern Africa and Haiti, you know, in, in, in wanting to do mission work. Mm. The, the twist to it comes though, because growing up in South LA and my mom being who my mom is, I'm, I'm um, product of a single mom or yeah, that's how I grew up was with a single mom. Um, uh, there was a lot of what I would say are the tenets of critical race theory just happening on the street all the time. A lot of the same conversations that we would um that we would see from like a a critical race theory book, that was just common conversation. Also black liberation theology was part of just the general way of being within, you know, the norms of South LA. And so I grew up with a lot of this mindset and at Biola studying sociology, I kind of was able to put proof to the information that I learned on the street. And so, yes, I was a Christian. Um, I was wanting to serve the Lord. I was wanting to do the Micah six and to do justice. And because I was more culturally and sociologically informed than I was biblically informed, I took the do justice passage and would apply it to things like reproductive justice, which is just another way to say abortion or distributive justice, looking at how do you redistribute wealth? These are not biblical forms of justice, right? There are cultural forms of justice. Now in asking about, you know, the Bible, the Bible must be important to me. I've always upheld the Bible as being the word of God, authoritative, what I need to live my, my life by. Unfortunately, in my specific situation, the discipleship aspect was missing. Did I have Christians who were, you know, loving me and speaking into my life? Sure. But the understanding the word and context part that was missing. Uh-huh. And when, when you're missing that part of of discipleship, it's easy to take one verse and then go build a platform on it. Yeah. So that is why scripture is important in having unity. I can't, we can unify against anything. Humans are extremely tribal, but what are we going to unify around as Christians? Well, we're going to unify around the word of God and we're going to have that be our foundation. If it's not, we don't really have unity. We might have some agreement, some consensus here and there, but true biblical unity, that ontological unity that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit only happens when we are in Christ. Oh, well, that's, that's powerful. I, I, I think it's pretty clear what you're saying about tribal. We're very tribal. So you got to be really careful about what tribe you're in, right? And yes. you want to be the Bible tribe. Yes, because let's favorite? be honest, the yeah. wrong tribe okay. will lead you to hell. Like we, we're all going to go. You're not messing around today, are you? No, because it's, it's a very serious, a very serious conversation and topic. Like we have to understand who we are and what are, what is our identity in Christ? Who are we together as a family? 
because Mm. when we don't, it's easy to be led astray. I've been on the astray side Mm -hmm. and I've seen kind of where that road leads and what that, what the end result is of that. And it's nothing pretty. Yeah. Do you still have friends from when you grew up in uh, LA? Do Do you keep track of them? Okay. I do. Do you feel um, comfortable saying a little bit more specifically where you're from, where you went to high school, stuff like that? So oddly enough, I did not go to high school. Well, let me actually really? preface this. So um, I grew up, if anyone is familiar with Los Angeles, um, Slauson and Crenshaw, Slauson and Normandy, that area right there, all the way up to like Florence and Normandy, um, that would be an area where I spent, I would say, like sixth grade to ninth grade, um, Manchester and Figueroa, uh, is where I did like second and third grade. I was born in an area called the jungle. Um, really? which, yeah. So, and I don't, gosh, it's like Coliseum and maybe La Brea. It's, it's, a specific little area, um, but it's yeah. it was called the jungle. If it's still called the jungle or not, I'm not sure. But if you are around, I've, I've um, heard of it. Yeah, in like yeah. the 80s and 90s, it was definitely called the jungle. And so, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's where I was born. But um, yeah, I think they filmed Training Day, or they, I think they, the setting for Training Day, part of it took place in the jungle. I think part of it was in the jungle. The other part was on La Brea and Slauson. LeBrand Slauson, okay. Mm-hmm. Boys in the Hood. Um, yeah. Part of Boys in the Hood, if I'm not mistaken, was in the jungle. I think I could be completely wrong. Okay. There's a, there is another movie that I'm thinking about that was also filmed in LA in that area. But um, yeah, I've been through there. I haven't, I mean, I don't know the area very well. I taught in LA for 15 years and um, to get to sometimes I would try to avoid traffic. <laughs> and so I, I made some, I did some exploring a few times. Yes. And, um, you know, I took the uh, 105 in to L.A., uh, Loyola Marymount, where I was teaching for a long time. Oh, West yeah. Chester. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if the, depending on how the 405 was doing or whatever, I remember, you know, taking the 110 up and then, you know, trying to find my way over over or under or whatever. So, yeah, it's I think it's good to drive around and see where you live and what who lives near you and what what what's the what's our neighborhood look like what concerns do they have what is it like for them oh yes yeah yes and i think la is a perfect place to do that because it is Mm -hmm. so diverse um and it's so vast like it's so widespread and you know one of the things that when you're right. driving through like a jungle area or a south la area some of the things that i encourage people to look for well just overall i encourage people to um what we ca- would call exegete your community to look around your community and look at really what's happening are there any justice issues so you can see you know or ask the question of where do people in this area bank where do people go to the grocery store are there any pharmacies? How do the elderly get around? Are there any, um, you know, transit, public tra- transit programs, you know, buses or trains? You can um, 
as, a, as an experiment, look into a, a lower socioeconomic area and, and ask those questions and then go into a more affluent area and ask those questions. What you will generally see in a lower socioeconomic area is that there are buses, there are trains, there generally aren't as many grocery stores or banks, but what there are, are payday loan places, a lot of fast food places, um, and like mom and pop little markets where they can get groceries from. In a more affluent area, you will not find public transportation more often than not. The public transportation divide is to me a justice conversation um, because it keeps quote unquote, the riffraff out, but how do people living in lower socioeconomic areas get to the more affluent areas to be able to work? If they were to, um, you know, want to pick up a job as a house cleaner or as a babysitter, or, you know, add a office or something like that. One of the the things that I notice a lot is that public um, city planning can often um, keep people in certain areas, and then you must have your own private transportation to get to work. And so it's just interesting what you notice when you take time to really look around the community. Yeah, that's interesting. Exegete your community. That's a biblical studies word for those of you who maybe don't know, haven't taken a Bible class that's an academic Bible class. Did you know that word when before you got to Biola? No, I did not know the word exegete before I got to Biola. I learned exegete um, at Biola. So looking into the text of scripture and um, pulling yeah. out the, yeah. the, the truth of, of the scripture, fully understanding how it was written in the time that it was written, how the original audience would have understood it and things right. like that. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah, as opposed to reading your own views into the text, which I is very, yeah, which is very common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe that happens too when you're driving through the community and people read their own views into that, if you want yeah. to call it a text, I guess. Yes. It's interesting. That, that's why it's important to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just, would you suggest stopping and just talking to people? I would not actually, I wouldn't, <laughs> I would not suggest that on either side of the line though. Um, I am a big safety first kind of person. So I would probably um, do a bit of research online and then I would probably see who I know who um, who may live within certain areas and ask questions that way. And I would ask, hey, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? I'm really curious. I'm trying to you know, get some better understanding and better data. You can go on the census website and find out a ton of information. They have information on how many people have computers, what's the median income, um, how many kids are in the area, how many schools are like, there's so much information that we can find online. It does not replace though the um the one-to-one interaction or the real-time interaction and information that you can gather from someone living there but i do think that it can be a good place to start and then making sure that you are having those conversations in relationship with someone not just you know i'm driving down swalson let me stop this person now what is it like to live here that just well yeah you know yeah that's uh that's very helpful I'm thinking of my own experience here, Monique, and I'm thinking, how do I know about this area? 
And then I realized as you were talking why I know some about this area is because I worked with people who lived there. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It wasn't me just driving around asking. It was, <laughs> um, there might've been some of that, uh, not quite, but I might stop by a diner, for example. I might stop by and chat with somebody sitting next to me, you know, getting a cup of coffee or a sandwich. Because as an adjunct professor, I would have to go up to Pepperdine, uh, a PCH. I would have to go to Loyola Marymount. I would have to go to LA City College or in the Valley, Pierce College, yep. LA Mission Colleges in mm-hmm. Silmar heavy Hispanic population. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember having classes where I think everybody was Hispanic besides that one white guy over there and me, but maybe he even spoke Spanish. I don't even know, but he, you know, and, and these different areas, I would get gas. I would run into former students. I would have students in these areas. We talk about it in office hours, but Jenny Moore from Pepperdine university uh, who was the uh, administrative, well, office manager. Now they call them office managers. Office manager at the humanities division at Pepperdine. I think she's still there. I, I don't know if she's still there yet, but she lived in that area. And I, it was years before I asked her a little bit more about where she lived and how long it'd take her to get to work and what their life was like, what their church life was like. Mm-hmm um their living situation so yeah it was it was years it was years of 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 running in to each other and then uh she sent a card when my dad died and the Mm. next thing you know we're talking we're sharing things so yeah that's that's interesting so what was your time like at biola gosh um at Biola, Biola was interesting. Um, you didn't graduate from high school. How did you get into Biola? No. Yes. Yeah, so um, I grew up with a single mom and there were four of us. So I have three siblings and I'm a lot older than my last two siblings. I'm 13 and 14 years older than my last two siblings. And so there were many times when I would stay home to help watch my siblings if my mom had to go to work. And eventually that just became what I did. Um, I was working part-time at like Universal Studios and then I would go to school, but then I would need to like sit and babysit the kids if, you know, she needed to go to work. Eventually it just didn't work anymore. I think um, the catalyst for me was I, this isn't to toot my own horn, but I was smart in school. I got very good grades in school. And when my because of my absences, when my report card came home, it said that I was going to have to repeat 10th grade. So the grade that I was going into was 10 R instead of 11th grade. And I just, I didn't think that that was what I wanted to do. I didn't want my friends to be a great, you know, ahead of me. I knew I could do, you know, the 11th grade work. And so sitting and doing 10th grade work all over again, because I have these absences didn't make sense to me. And so I stopped going. Um, I then a couple of years later went in and took my GED test. I just walked oh. into the school and said, Hey, I want to sign up for this. And they were like, there's classes to be offered. So I don't want the classes. Um, I just want to take the test. And so I took the test and <laughs> wow. then um, I went to Valley Did you have College. to pay for that? Yeah. 
there oh, i think there was do. a i think there was a, a fee or something like that they always um, want some money they always want something from you yeah i'm not i'm not exactly sure i just remember i went in i took the was test it hard no it was not hard oh i passed i passed it the first time around praise god yeah so there was that and then um that's awesome I went and did a year at Valley College because I needed 27 units to at least 27 to transfer into Biola. I got my 27 units and I transferred into Biola. Biola was interesting because I had never been around so many white people. Like people, I was an RA at one point. Was it a culture shock for you? It was definitely a culture shock. It was a culture shock for everybody. You know, like there were just things that we did that were different, not necessarily good or bad, just very, very different. Um, And because I was the minority in numbers, I think people noticed my difference and it felt at times like people were watching. I don't think that it was now, you know, on the other side of it, that people were like, you know, just watching. I just think that you know, I was you, blow, blow dry my hair and the smoke alarm went off. And so, oh. you know, my hair is a little thicker. Um, I listened to different music. It was just different. What kind of music did you listen to? A lot of hip hop, um, okay. a lot of black gospel. And so it was it was just different. Oh, OK. All right. So it wasn't but, like you weren't playing Bach really loud or. No, Tupac. You know, Maybe Tupac, at the, at the, Tupac, <laughs> Tupac, 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 um, at the, you know, I mean, that was way back then. Um, but yeah, or Fred Hammond or Yolanda Adams, but it was just very different and I'm grateful for the experience. I mean, but at the same time, I was the only, sometimes I was the only black student in a class. And then, you know, when they want the black perspective or, you know, <laughs> as a black person, you're, how on do the, you think? you're on the hook for that, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, and, I've never been asked for the white perspective on anything. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> can I get the white, can, excuse me, sir. Can I, what is it like living in this neighborhood? Can I get the white perspective? Well, you know, I don't know. There's mostly Asians here. So, I, you know, I don't know if I could speak for the Asians, but I don't know if any particular Asian could speak for the Asians. I mean, who elected yeah. them to talk for them? You know, this guy's Korean. This lady's from South Vietnam, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, but that's funny. I, I'm having so, such a great time listening to you talk about this. I have no idea the music you just mentioned. I the nothing comes in my mind. So I'm like writing down, like, okay, I'll listen to that. I want to hear what that sounds like. Yes. Um, well, Tupac, Tupac is is interesting. He Yeah, what's he like? He, is he? Yeah, he, he right? Okay. Yeah. Um he gosh, he did a lot of he actually was shot and killed, oh. I believe in Vegas, um, oh, okay. years ago. But he did a lot of music that was more empowering to the black community. Um, not, I wouldn't necessarily call it activist, um, you know, music. I think it probably could be considered that now, but I don't think at the time he would have considered it more activist music. It was just, you know, music to empower the black community. Um, okay. Yeah. So I liked Tupac. Um, I liked Lauren Hill. I will listen to a lot of Lauren Hill. Um, Yolanda Adams, Juanita Bynum, not Juanita Bynum, Yolanda Adams, um, Fred Hammond, Donnie McClurkin. 
Yeah. But now, now I listen to the music and especially the Christian music. And I realized just how prosperity gospel um, influenced a lot of the black gospel music is. And that kind of has sent me down a different road away from, away from a lot of black gospel music. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I really wish I could follow up with questions on that. I guess I'm, I don't know black gospel music at all. So can you give an example of, of what you're referring to? So I think there's, we can be alert to it. Yeah, I think there's usually, and this isn't, this isn't every black um, gospel artist. So I will say that I will okay. also say that I am not downing the entirety of the prosperity gospel message. Um, so I don't want people to hear that. What I, what I am saying is that there's a lot of what Jesus will only do for me. He will, you know, if I do these things, then I'm going to get this. Right. Whereas I find that, um, music that worship music that reinforces our doctrine worship music that says this is who God is where I am um, you know either singing about the character of God who God is or ascribing worship to him is more in line with what we see in scripture than the worship music that I find a lot of in black gospel music of, um, you know, it's all about, it's all about what he'll do for me. Mm -hmm. It's all about, um, if I do this, then, then I'll get that. And I'm, I'm trying to think of, um, some specific songs, but it's a lot of, we're going to get hate mail. Yes. Yes. It, it, you will get hate mail. I'm sorry. Well, I'm Republican professor in Los Angeles. You don't think I've experienced there's that opposition before? There's that. It's interesting. Yeah. What's what was LA Valley College like? Because I taught at Pierce for a long time in LA Mission. Um, so like either side of you in the, mm-hmm. in the valley. Yeah. Uh I did teach in North Hollywood, uh at North Hollywood High. Um, but it was LA Community College District uh college class. So what was that like for you? LA, LA, um, LA Valley. So yeah, North Hollywood was the high school that I actually dropped out of and right there on Magnolia and Colfax. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And I've been LA, in there. Yes. I've been in there. Yep. Valley College was, I feel like the the place that people didn't really want to go. Everyone always coveted Pierce. So I <laughs> took a ton of dance classes at um, Valley College, but Pierce was the community college that had the best dance program oh wow really yes they have an amazing dance program and so you know at least at the time and so that's where you know people who I hung out you know with wanted to go but usually went to Valley College because it was closer to work and time constraints and all that Mission College nobody was really wanting to go to Mission College because it was up in Selmar nobody really wanted to hang out in Selmar but yeah I wonder why I know, right? Academically, I think it was a bit better than Valley. Why, thank you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, (laughs) I agree. Yes, that's true. No, I have no idea. I'm sure it's great all over the place. The same credentials are required. It's the same community college district. 
It's funny because my Moore Park students, which is, do you know Moore Park College? It's in yeah. Ventura County. Mm-hmm. Moore Park College is the closest to wh- what I grew up with in in um, Colorado. I grew up in Colorado, Littleton, Colorado. And <clears throat> the people at Moore Park, I had some peer students that followed me to Moore Park. And they said that uh, they thought that Pierce was ghetto that's the their word. That's the word they used compared to Moore Park. And I I'd never understood mm-hmm. that. I didn't get that because to me, Pierce, the houses around Pierce are ex- like huge. Yeah. They're like it's like a very wealthy neighborhood. Woodland Hills is very wealthy. Yep. So I don't know what they were. Th- I, I I never got like a clear explanation of what that is. I think they just meant LA versus Ventura County or something, but there's all these little code things that people in different areas understand, but then just outside of it, you'll miss it. You'll miss the code. Yes. I don't know if you've experienced that in LA or not, but sounds like there's some of that going on in Biola as well. I'm not, I haven't been to Biola in a, in a good number of years, a good 20 years. Um, and so, yes, I would say when I was there, there were, you know, yeah things but when did you graduate can we can we hear about that so goodness, you don't want to if you don't want to date yourself that's all I, right you know right, so. i i appreciate that i'm just, I'm just gonna leave it with i haven't been to biola in about 20 years 20 years yes wow you age really well thank you jeez you go there when you were seven <laughs> dang thanks all right well so I wanted to follow up with something. You said that sometimes you were the only black girl in the class, or actually I think you said only black person mm-hmm. in the class. And um, so I thought I, these are things that I want to ask you. You say that uh, I'm going to try to link two things you said and see if we can, uh, if I can get some, some clarity about this. Um, Tupac uh empowers you said he was empowering to the black community so there's this black community right is that is that what do you mean by the black community is that just a function yeah is that a function of any minority is gonna maybe talk that way or because i never have thought of the white community and that Mm -hmm. might just be a percentages issue Mm -hmm. i don't know but well how do you think of that I think and that goes to the class issue too, because you're in the classroom and you're the people might think you're the black community or that you're, however, you are a representative or however you want to put it. Yes. I think that you can look at the black community as being something geographical. So, you know, in each area, where do you find the majority of um, black people living? Excuse me one second. We are still here, FYI. Don't go nowhere. I am so sorry. No, I no just problem. Choked. I totally understand. Sorry. Um, no so not a problem at all. You can look. We're glad at, you're okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. Please excuse me. 
um, you can look at the, the Black community as, you know, a geographical area. So where do the majority of Black people live? But you can also look at the wider American community or culture would be another way to put it. Um, is there a Black culture, a Black community? And to a degree, I would say yes. Um, for certain things, certain things where um, no matter where you go, there's going to be hints of, um, you know, things that we all understand or some type of shared vernacular. But you can also look at it as far as being um, regional, you know, so Black people in the South are very different than Black people on the West Coast in regards to culture. Black people on the West Coast tend to be different than Black people on the East Coast as far as culture goes. So um, language and, and different accents and terms that are used, what are the, the norms of a region and things like that. Um, so I would, I think I use the the term black community or culture very broadly because I tend to understand what I'm thinking and I'm I'm glad that you asked me to kind of thread that through a little bit one of the things that has been said since 2020 is that black people are not a monolith it probably started even before George Floyd and so you do while you while you do see shared values or shared terminology um, between Black people, that does not mean that all Black people are voting Democrat. Now, does an overwhelming percentage of Black people vote Democrat? Yes. And we can talk about that and, you know, my thoughts on, on why that is, but not every Black person votes Democrat. Um, you can look at the, the style of music that Black people like. Black hip-hop, especially when I was growing up, Black hip-hop on the East Coast versus the South versus the West Coast was extremely different. Um, when we consider things like the value of education, that's going to be, you know, basically down to that individual. It could go by the family. It could go by the community. It does not mean that um, when I say, well, you know, Black culture or the Black community, that I am, that I am trying to ascribe, you know, a certain value to everyone. Although there are some things that we will find that we share in we share similarities and or um we do have some shared values i'm not sure if that if that answers your question or um if i need to well, thread it through a little bit more no 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 my question is just what you think so okay. you know you're answering what you think that's that's fine that's great yeah it, it's it, it's i think it's interesting to 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 chase it down a little bit just because uh we're here to listen to you and hear about your experience and how you see things, what you, what, what life has been like for you and, and what do you think the problems are and some of the solutions, how can we work together for that? Um, and so, you know, when I, when I hear you saying that you're in the class and you feel like you're, you're in some sense there by yourself. Now I know, I know that's not a total thing you said, but, you're just saying in some sense, in a racial sense, you're there by yourself as the only black person. And I wanted to know, how did that manifest itself in the classroom? Uh, can you characterize that for us a, a little bit? What, what uh, maybe give an example of, of um, 
what that means. Um, do you feel like um, you mentioned uh, kind of being put on the spot possibly to give the black perspective? Did that ever, did that ever happen? If so, how did you feel about that? I'll give <laughs> one example um, and go whatever direction you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you because I know that you're in tune with the Holy Spirit and I'm we're open to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do with yeah, conversation. One, one clear example that I remember very vividly is a field trip that my class took um, to help get students acquainted because we were all sociology. So helping to get students acquainted with um, the quote unquote underprivileged or, um, you know, as, as you said earlier, the, the ghetto areas. And so we actually went to my old neighborhood, like the places where I used to play as a kid and the parks that I, you know, I grew up playing at no kidding. and yeah, but they didn't know that this was my old neighborhood. And my professor didn't know that this was my old neighborhood that we are now, you know, going on display to and walking down the street and kids, you know, these young adults are ooing and eyeing and asking questions that I am sure just came because they were curious. But, you know, at, you know, standing there, I'm like, I wonder if this could have been done any other way. It felt very much like walking through a zoo, like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at this. And they, them not having any understanding as to their, the places that we're standing in are very near and dear to my heart, but I can definitely tell that you would never, ever come here. You just by your, like your facial expressions and the questions that you're asking and the noises you're making Mm -hmm. it, this is definitely an area that would be beneath you to come to, um, and so for, for me, that was very. In that sense, it was like, not, not like a zoo because people like going to the zoo. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that, you know, um, but I think I know what you mean. I think, yeah, I think I know what you mean. Just, it was just on display. I was going to, yes, that's right. Like a museum or something. Yeah. Or like, some, it, but you. without regard to the fact that there are real people who live yeah, here. I understand. And that for some people, this is what they know, all they know. And these areas are near and dear and treasured in their hearts. Okay. That's the key part right there that I'm glad you, I'm glad you added that in. That's the second time you added it. Cause the first thing I thought I was, I didn't want to interrupt you, but the first thing I thought when you said about this field trip to your old neighborhood was, did it look the same? Did you have any feelings that were there? Yeah. The very beginning. Were they warm feelings for you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that would definitely. Definitely. And so it's a big deal. It is. And, you know, it, it, it further solidifies the thought of, well, I'm the only one. So these are not traumatic memories that you're having. These are warm memories from your childhood. Yeah. And the significance of things that are warm for you is lost on those who are there for the purpose of this trip. Yes. And you're seeing that and you're, were you feeling any shame or how did you process that? 
I don't know if it was shame. I think it's probably more anger and frustration of like, you just have no clue. And Uh, yeah, the just frustration at the disconnect. Um, And probably I would say more of a a confirmation bias. Were you sad? Mm, Probably to a degree. Yeah. So there's some sadness and some anger. Yeah. But I think just the, the confirmation bias of right. This is what I've been raised to think that white people think anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so then it just confirmed the bias that I already was holding. Yeah. yeah, that's not fun. Um, but yeah, I would say that's one for sure. And then I do recall a couple of times like being in a Bible class or another class, you know, whatever the class is and, and someone asking, well, you know, as an African-American student, you know, Monique, what do you think about? <laughs> and just being like, well, I don't know that my ethnicity really plays into this conversation. Like I could just say, well, as a student, right. You know, and just answer the question. Is from that there. how you prefer th- that that question be asked back then? Do you recall thinking that? It depends. I think it depended. I think in my sociology classes, I could see it being more fitting and more appropriate because we did a lot of, we did have a lot of conversations about different, different ethnic groups and things like that and how those things tied into each other. But if I'm in the middle of a math class, you know, see me as the black (laughs) student, how does two plus two equal four make you feel like I don't, you know, it it doesn't seem appropriate. Just to be clear. I don't think Monique is saying that actually happened in a math class, right? You're not saying that. No, not saying that. Yeah, but it would be as ridiculous is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, that's very good. That's very clear. Sociology. um, Well, what's sociology? Can you describe it for people that maybe never had a sociology class? I mean, probably most people get a rough and ready idea of what it is. Yeah, the study of groups, the study of community, the study of just, yeah, where as opposed to psychology, where you get like right. the study of the individual, um, how, you know, things impact the individual. Yep. Um, yep. We look at the, the broader context of how do individuals together impact a society right. or a community. How, what drew you to that? I've of always... All- of all the majors uh, you're looking through the catalog maybe this is when they had catalogs i used to love looking through the catalogs and you were like that's it that's what i want to major in so what was that like how did you figure that out i knew when i was six so i um you knew the word sociology when you were six no but i did know social work and social service and what it meant to adopt and to work in foster care. And that's all I've wanted to do. I had a small stint in like between like ninth and 10th grade where I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And so I highly toiled with that idea and actually did a, um, a rotation at County USC medical center as a, um, a student, like, nurse kind of through a program at USC on there. And I did that on their um, neurosurgical ward, but I quickly kind of got past that and was like, no, I actually think social service is more my jam. Did you not like blood? I blood gross you out. 
No, it didn't gross me out. Um, we were able to like use the centrifuge and, um, you know, do all kind of things that I today would never, ever let a ninth grader do, but, you know, at least not with my body. Um, but I just think that you probably the, played on the monkey bars too, and you probably fell down and almost broke your neck. There is that. everybody's hyper concerned about like stuff now, but yeah, you know, we used to just yeah. like jump off roofs and stuff. That is true. Right, that, but today alive. I'm just like, I can't believe that I, that I was allowed to do that. It was very cool. And yeah, you know, I got to do a lot of different things. Um, but what, what did you do for fun yeah. growing up? What was it? What kind of stuff was fun? I was a nerd. So, well, when I was a tomboy, so I climbed trees, I played basketball, baseball. I had a lot of fights. I really liked fighting <laughs> growing <laughs> up. Um, so I've been suspended a lot. But aside from that, I was kind of a nerd. And so spending um, a couple of summers, like with my grandmother, she had the whole, remember the World Book Encyclopedia series? Oh, yeah. So she had, she had that she had that and I would go and find things that were interesting to me and read about it. And then I would sit and write reports on it. And it was just for fun. Wow. Did you type it? Sometimes. Yeah. We did have a, like a word processor and, um, or sometimes I would just write it by hand, but like, I remember studying the topography of Southern Africa, never realized I would be going to South Africa. Um, wow. Or studying insects or and these are physical yeah. books. The, yeah. The series that people used to get. These mm-hmm. are physical books that you hold in your hand, people, encyclopedias. Yes. Look up encyclopedia and an encyclopedia sometime. Now, it seems like that you should have to do that now because people don't know what they are. This is true. So you were really nerdy. Wow. Yeah. But you you seem like pretty well rounded though, because you're getting into fights. Wow. That probably comes in handy now. And the sports, uh, nerd, you learn how to type. At least you got some idea of it. You know how to, you're learning how to do some research. Um, <coughs> now, I guess we can come to back to Biola anytime you want. But yeah, what, what was, I have to ask you, I definitely don't want to forget this. What was South Africa like? South Africa is amazing. It is beautiful. Um, and it is extremely violent. So I think you have, just like you have here in the States, um, different areas where different socioeconomic, um, that are impacted by different socioeconomic statuses and things like that. You get the same in South Africa, but I would say South Africa is more divided by um, ethnicity or skin color. Um, That does impact the socioeconomic factors as well. Um, I worked in an area called the Cape Flats. The Cape Flats is a very violent area and I worked with colored children. Um, But I like... In, in the midst of all of the violence, I loved what I was able to do. Um, I actually came home because I received a death threat and wow. it was credible. And so I came home. What was um, the context for that? What did you, I, what did a, this person think you did? Or was there probably was, was there even any rational basis in their mind for it? Or was it just a crazy person or what? 
Well, it depends on, you know, the side of rational you're sitting on. Um, I, as I was a mandated reporter. And so I had ah. to make a report and the report was against someone who um, had ties and connections with drugs and gangs. Mm. And yeah, so I can't go into too much detail of that, but um, the connection or his tie to drugs and gangs is what led to the death threat. So you came home from that. How would you summarize your time there? Is there any particular story you want to share from that time? I think South Africa was amazing. Um, a particular story. Would you Would you recommend people go? I would recommend to check with um, like like travel websites and see what's happening in the country. the The country can and has been over the last few years. Um, pretty violent against whites, especially white farm workers. And so making sure that, um, that it's safe to travel. If it, if, as long as the reports are like, yes, it's safe to travel. I would definitely go. It, it's amazing. Um, okay. The, let, I'm trying to think of a story. I think, um, well, what did you have for breakfast? Oh goodness. What do they eat over there? What time do you get up and stuff? Like what? what I'm an early riser. You do? You okay? I'm an early riser, so I would get up early, um, no matter what was going on. Um, People generally have tea. They do have coffee, but it's usually instant. Um, But they have a lot of tea, so rooibos tea is very popular, or um, like a normal tea. It always has milk by and large, and then you have rusks with it um which oh my gosh a rusk is like a a biscuit but it's very hard we have them here but they're different oh were they uh, good they're so? amazing amazing oh, okay. lots sweet? of lamb yes oh touch sweet is um, that what you eat for breakfast no i'm gluten-free now um for breakfast oh, okay. now i do well, really I mean, just have a then? smoothie yeah back then yes um okay. chicken chicken livers and eggs and Okay. Yeah, South Africa is just very rich in food, um, malva pudding or different curries. Um, if anyone is listening from South Africa, please let me let me know how I can get some biltong. Actually, I know how to get biltong. Um, how do you spell it? B-I-L-T-O-N-G, biltong. Okay. It is definitely um one of the fav- my favorites from South Africa, ostrich, a lot of ostrich and um, oh, kudu. That's oh. yeah. a red meat. Ostrich is a red meat and it's a bird. It's a little weird. It is. It is. It's like eating steak, kind of. Yes. Ostrich steaks are the best. Yeah. I was, yeah. I couldn't believe it was ostrich. I was like, whoa. Yes. I mean, that's cool. So uh, they, they have great food and great beaches. Wow. Really? Yeah. No kidding. So were people friendly to you there? Yes. I think um, were the I white think, people friendly to you. Yes. I didn't have really any problems with, um, with people not being friendly to me. I think people, I think it, it helps when people realize that I was American. Oh, okay. There definitely, I feel like is a way that Americans are treated versus the way that 
South Africaners can be treated toward one another. Right. Um, yeah. I did have someone like kind of push me. Oh, uh, I had an older white lady like push me um, really? in a store. She was she was very frustrated with me. Um, but, you know, that she was did, she didn't know you grew up fighting. And so basically, did you have to <laughs> what did you do? Basically, I just I literally just kind of kept going and was just like, you know, I don't want to cause much from i had just got there and want to cause the much you did the christian thing i did we wanted to hear a story about a fight no but no i'm just kidding no 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 no, no. you went there as a missionary right i did i okay. did i went there as a missionary so and um that's your heart just yeah it is i really just wanted to serve kids now <clears throat> you've mentioned hell before do you believe hell exists? Yes. So it's a real place after death. Yes. That people will go. Yes. That's how, do, how, how do we avoid that? Well, I is there say, any way we can avoid that? <laughs> I would say a relationship with Jesus. Um, and, you know, understanding what it means to be a Christian and to live according to the tenets and, you know, that are set out by scripture. Um, and doesn't mean perfection by any means, but I do believe that a relationship with Jesus, not, it just doesn't, you know, help you to avoid hell, but it gives you what you need for life. And I think that that is what is more important that it gives me what I need for life here on this earth, but it also gives me what I need for life beyond. And so the goal, my goal is to serve Jesus because he is king. And so that like, that's the goal, like having a relationship with Jesus just isn't, or shouldn't be my get out of hell free card. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Yeah. So when you say king, you mean like legit big K? Yeah king yes yes uh, i believe that there is you, god the father god the son and god the holy spirit one god right yes not three okay no and you have you believe jesus rise from the dead uh physically yes like real body like a real physical body it says that the tomb was empty so <laughs> that that's now, what i have to go on all right so you're you take the Bible seriously as a way to live, as a not just a avoiding some kind of scary afterlife scenario, but as a guide for life now. Yes. Okay. Do you think that so? How is Jesus available for that? How can uh, what if someone's listening in the future and is thinking, have a hard time believing? Maybe not that he exists, but just why would he care about me? Or what is he, how does he even know about me? Well, gosh, I think that's a, a good question. I don't know that I have a, a very, very good answer for it. For me, um, you know, I would say rather than waiting for some physical voice to come down and say, hey, I've been waiting for you, I would get into the word of God. 
and understand what the word of God says. Um, and yeah, I think that would be my first places because even if, even if I never hear, you know, which I haven't, you know, the audible voice of God, I do have his word written in the scriptures. I do have, um, we can look back in history, um, like geological surveys or things like that and see the proof history offering us the proof of the scriptures or the verification. I'll say that, um, you know, so when the Lord says, and I just watched this a couple of nights ago, um, when the Lord said that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, they have found Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, so they had there, you can go to like, or I don't know if we can go, but the, the excavator that I was watching, you know, going and, and finding sulfur balls and looking at the place where um, Sodom and Gomorrah would have historically sat, looking at the ruins there, understanding, um, you know, what is, what is the pieces of bone or pieces of clay that are found there from these, these ancient cities. So we do have proof that the things in the Bible happened, that, that it actually occurred. Um, and I believe that if I have proof of, if I have enough proof of the scriptures, you know, if, if there's a piece of scripture that I may not have, let's say I have 80% of, of the scriptures, it's just a random number. But there's this 20% that, you know, I haven't found the proof to yet. Am I going to allow the 20% where I have not yet found the the proof um, to override the 80% where I do have proof? No, I would say, well, I have 80% of it here. 80% of this is worked out. I should keep looking for for the 20%. Um, And so... You know, if someone in the future were were listening in and like, hey, you know, I'm not sure about, you know, what I'm not sure if if what God says, you know, in His Word is is true. I would say, well, look at the physical history. Look at what we found physically um, to so, understand. So apologetics, yeah, is a thing, and it actually supports the Bible, and and there's a lot of stuff you can check out on that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be my, my answer. Um, a lot of right really now. smart people working on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of resources. Um, have you ever had a time in your life where you, your faith was challenged and you felt like you needed help with like apologetics and stuff to answer some difficult questions? Definitely. I think, um, yeah. because I, because I upheld a critical race theory, um, yeah, mentality. we got to get to that. We got to get to that. What that definition is. You can yeah. go there now if you want. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, be, okay. I, because I so I'll finish this and say because I upheld a critical race theory mentality. Um, when God started to break all that down for me, hmm. I really just was like, "Well, Lord, what should I believe?" I I thought the Lord was mad at white people just like I was. You know, so, but now you're telling me, you know, there's something else, what's going on? Um, or, you know, I'm looking at the word in context and realizing, oh my gosh, you know, justice doesn't mean what I think it means. Now what? So there was a bit of a paradigm breakdown for me. Um, 
And that's when I had to get very, very serious about my faith and apologetics, understanding the word of God in context. How do you read the Bible? You never just read a Bible verse, you read a chunk. Um, Mm, Yeah. So that is, that was, I don't know if it was a crisis of faith, but I definitely felt like I was in crisis. Um, How old were you when that happened? This was just when I came back home from South Africa. So in 2018. So pretty recently. Pretty recently. Yeah. So I, tr- you came back to Trump was president. I came back to Trump's America. <laughs> you had yes, to hear about all that over there, right? Did Bits and have pieces. Any... Okay. Gotcha. Bits and pieces. Um, my life was so just South Africa all the way that I, I didn't think I was coming home. And so I didn't really, really wow. care much. I was just like, you know, Americans will figure it out. We're resilient people. We have this. Um, and sure. then Now here I am. (laughs) Um, So looking at a definition of critical race theory, I'm actually going to read it from Critical Race Theory and Introduction by um, Richard Delgado and Gene Stefancic. They're actually husband and wife. And um, I know how to spell Delgado, but I don't know how to spell the other one. Stefancic is S-T-A-N. I'm sorry, S-T-E-F-A-N-C-I-C. C I C. Okay. I wouldn't have not known how to say that. I've said it a lot. <laughs> and um, I hope that I'm pronouncing it correctly. I wouldn't want to mispronounce say, her name. Say the title again Critical Race Theory and Introduction. Okay. It's like a college primer text. Okay. So this is like a legit, this isn't like some guy that just came up with this backwoods Bible press and he doesn't even no. have, you know. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just kind of churning it out. No, this um, this, this book is a legit thing. Yeah, it's a gotcha. it's a college textbook, college and textbook. I believe it was originally meant to be a high school textbook, um, but it ended. It, it's a college textbook for sure. And um, Richard Delgado was part of the original like writers of critical race theory or, or original mm-hmm. first. Or, or originators of critical race theory. I know we hear a lot of Kimberly Crenshaw or Mari Matsuda, but there were actually, I believe, seven people um, who were there when they originally met to form critical race theory. Um, and so what the critical race theory book says is the critical race theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. So when you consider what is critical race theory, part of how we should look at critical race theory is that it is a movement that is meant to transform society. How does it transform society? It transforms society in its regard to race, racism, and power. So it looks at power structures and how those power structures, based on um, the critical race theory definition, of power and power structures. It looks at how those things are impacting race and racism in America. What is con- What are the power structures that continue to uphold whiteness or white structures and continue to um, maintain uh, a level of quote unquote subordination for people of color? It derives from um, Derek Bell's critical legal theory 
Derek Bell is actually. I've heard that name. Yeah, I think I've read something by him because my PhD is in public law. He's yeah. a lawyer, right? Yes. He's a legal yeah. guy. Okay. Yeah, he actually. Um, are you familiar with Angela Davis and her situation? Yes. He was on her legal defense counsel. Okay. So, um, which which is very interesting. So this had been decades ago. This had been like in the seventies, maybe. Yes. Angela Davis had her situation, I believe, in the 70s, beginning of the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. I could be completely wrong, but I I do think it's the middle of um, mid. No, early 70s. Um, And Derek Bell sat on her legal defense team. What's interesting is that Angela Davis was the protege of um, Herbert Marcuse. Yes. Of Marcuse. And so we see is it, a tie. Is that a, is that a Marxist guy? He was um, one of the of he's one of the founders of um, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. Yeah. Okay. And so when people say that critical race theory is not Marxist, it's not, you know, there's no kind of connection to that. I just I think it's very interesting to look at the physical, tangible connections in, in a lot of these things, when you get um, the the philosophers and the thinkers of the Frankfurt School and how they came into America and, um, you know, ended up splitting up and, you know, just doing their own thing to a degree in academia. And then you see the pairing of um, Herbert Marcuse and um, Angela Davis, and then Angela Davis getting into trouble and now having a touch or a tie to Derrick Bell. So this lady, uh, Angela Davis, just for those who may have no idea who you're talking about, can you give us a flavor of what what the significance of that name is? Yes. So Angela Davis is um, an avowed communist. Um, She actually ran for the vice president of the Communist Party twice, if I'm not mistaken. Um, She is very big in the conversation of defunding the police. She's still would, alive. Yes. Is yes. she old? Yes. She's old. Okay. She's old. Yeah. Um, She's old now, but she yes. wasn't back then. She wasn't back then. Um, and you know, She's I'm black, not, right? She is black. Okay. She's black. Um, actually, I believe that for a time she went to go study in um in Germany, and she may have studied under Adorno. I why, did, why does she need a lawyer? Direction. What happened? She did, needed a lawyer because she was part of a situation where there was a hostage situation, like in a courtroom. And I, I have read, I read this so long ago that I am not, I want to make sure that I get it correct. It was she was a violent crime. Right? It was a violent so, crime where I want to say a judge was a, killed. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I believe a judge was killed. Um, and others so were shot and it wasn't they like connect- shoplifting or something. It was no. like a serious violent thing. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and they connected her, I believe they tied the, the guns back to her or something mm-hmm. like that. But you can Google Angela Davis and um, see exactly there's a, there's what There's a rabbit happened. hole there if you want. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she had a lawyer named Derek Bell and Derek Bell is, is an interesting spe- first spelling of his first name. His last name, I think, is just Bell, right? Normal yes. B-E-L-L. But his first name is spelled a little differently than... I believe it's D-E-R-R-I-C-K. Is that what uh, it is? Okay. I believe so. I can probably All right. find that might, it. That might yeah. have been what it is. Okay. 
I think it's D-E-R-R-I-C-K. But um, yeah, so I just think that, you know, her ties to Bell and then Bell's ties to Kimberly Crenshaw, who is probably the, the form most person known for critical race theory is just very interesting. It, yeah. it, I mean, if nothing else, I would say, you know, that that's interesting. You know, when people say, well, yeah. it has no ties, ties to Marxism or it has no ties to right, right, right. Um, anything like that. It, it's very interesting just how closely connected these, you know, these yeah. ties were at some point. Um, so, so, yeah. criti- so critical race theory is trying to explain something, right? It, the, every theory tries to offer some kind of explanation for what you're seeing, the data, the phenomenology or whatever it is you want to say. Data is plural, as everybody who's ever taken statistics knows. So you're trying to, to explain these data. The data would be like the disparities, right? The disparities of yes. income disparities of education um, could be any number of things incarceration yes but it's all looked at through the lens of race mm-hmm. so it's all about taking a critical look into society to understand why there are these disparities um, but all of the disparities are assumed to be because of race now I say assumed because I think any other um, any other answer, aside from race would be immediately turned down. Um, But critical race theory is looking at everything through the lens of race in order to transform the relationship that people have with race and power. So how do we shift the the conversation in race and power um, within our society? Who are those who are said to have the power? Gotcha. What is the power that they wield? You know, it, it just, right. it, it's all along the lines though of race, gotcha. but not every um, disparity equals an injustice. And this is where I find, you know, there should be more conversation. We find disparities in say, nature. Say that, say that one more time. Disparity not, doesn't necessarily mean injustice. Mm-hmm. How did you, however you said it, how do you say it? Not every disparity is an injustice. That seems like a pretty important thing you just said. Not every disparity is an injustice. Can you say what you mean by that? So what do you have in mind by that? Let's look at um, the stats in education and you know how white children tend to do um, better than black children. Well, many within the CRT camp would say, well, that's because of race or racism. That's because power structures are created that assist the white child more than it assists the black child. We need to do diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings. We need to be anti-racist. We need to make sure that equity, um, there are equitable, you know, principles being upheld and all of that. Sure, that could be it. It could be that there are power structures that are being upheld to keep you know, children who are minorities down. I'm open to that. But there also may be something else. So there is a, um, I believe he's, a, he's either a sociologist or an anthropologist, and he's actually passed away now. But his name was John Ogbu. And he was- How do you, how do you spell the last name? O-G-B-U. Okay. 
he did a study in Ohio and looked at students in a school who all came, it was a primarily equally split school of white and black. And he looked at this disparity in, you know, educational grades and what was happening within the home. And what he found was that there were issues within the Black community of the school where many Black students would be put down if they did well. So if they spoke, um, quote unquote, proper or not with a lot of slang, then they would be accused of talking white. If they got good grades, they would be accused of trying to act white. They were being put down. When it came to being at home, there was a lot of video game playing and not a lot of time being spent doing homework. There were just a lot of other factors that went into um, to the education dynamic. And so I think this is other data that we can look at and right. say, okay, so yes, disparities might be because of race. In some instances, are disparities because of racism? Sure, I'm not stupid. Like racism exists and it's a problem of a sinful heart. I, I completely agree. Do race, can racist structures exist? Sure, you get two or three people together who want to collude, you'll, you can definitely get a system. Hmm. And- right. Is that the answer all the time? No. Sometimes it's because of personal choice. How do we have conversations around personal choice, around you failed that test, not because you're Black, but you failed that test because you didn't study. You failed that test because you were playing video games all night long. You failed that test because you didn't want to show your friends or allow your friends to know that you're really smart because you didn't want to be put down. We have a yeah. lot of conversations that need to be had around disparities and maybe put race on the back burner for a bit and um, really see if race is truly the, 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 the cause of the disparity. I think once you get through all the other layers, though, if race is the only thing you're left with, you'll be able to say, okay, this, this truly is because of race. It's kind of like um, policing. Well, you know, everyone right. needs to defund the police, of course. Well, hold on. Let's make sure Black people are really being plucked off. When I think it was Boston, um, Boston College, maybe who did the study a couple years back that looked at policing around the nation. And you can actually Google, um, just Google in like police and race statistics. What um, it's one of the first things that actually should pop up. But one of the things that was found through the study is um, that in the South, there are like statistical data that shows, you know, minorities or blacks are pulled over at an increasing rate. Their cars are, tend to be searched first um, or searched more often. But when you look at the rest of the nation, that's not actually true. It's more of a 50-50 split. Like it, it's more equal. When you look at the amount of police shootings, it's not that blacks are being plucked off in, in no part of the country, but yet if you just listen to the media, if you just listen to, um, you know, your critical race theorists and, and the critical race theory activists, you wouldn't believe that. You would think that, you know, I should, as a Black woman, be fearing for my life every time I go to the store because I might just get plucked off. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you ever get pulled over? Well, see, what it happened was. I've been pulled over twice. Um, 
both times I broke the law. One time I got away with it. Um, the police, I don't even want to say got away with it. I had to make a U-turn um, in a non-U-turn area because I really had to go to the bathroom. And so I just took my chance. I didn't see him sitting there and he pulled me over. Um, really cool story. <laughs> At, when I explained to him what happened, he was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn on my sirens. and I want you to stay right behind me. I'm going to escort you to a jack-in-the-box. The jack-in-the-box right by the Fox Hills Mall. And then I was able to go to the bathroom. I didn't get a ticket. A um, couple years later, I was on the... He didn't follow you into the, make sure you went into the bathroom. No, and I'm so thankful for that. But I mean, he could have, because I really had to go. Um, <laughs> the a couple of years later, I was coming from Santa Clarita. I used to drive from Santa Clarita down to um, Wilshire and La Brea every day. And I was late for work and I was wow. flying. I probably was doing 90. Um, oh my gosh, and he pulled me over. Drive. It was. Yeah. He pulled me over and he was well within his right to pull me over. So yeah, aside from yeah. that, I have. I've not been pulled over. Did you, did you feel scared when you got pulled over? Yes. Um, but okay. I mean, not knowing what could or would happen. So I, I, I mean, my mom gave me the talk when I was a kid, like, you know, because you're black and you get pulled over, make sure that your hands are on the wheel, that you, you're not, you know, doing anything else. You do exactly what he says. You um, make announcements before, like if he asks you to grab your, your license and registration, you have to tell him, okay, it's in the glove compartment. May I reach over to the glove compartment? You always make sure that your hands are wherever he can see, you know, so he can see them when you do all that. And so, uh, yeah, I your was, mom I was gave nervous. you a talk. That's, yeah. Your mom gave a talk like that. Yes. Was it called the talk? That's what I call it. Yeah. The talk. Wow. Yeah. When I hear of a, the talk, I think it, it's like a sexual thing. That's, that's when you're going to talk about the birds and the bees. Oh yeah. We had that talk too, but I felt like this one was way more serious. Like, wow. you, you know, you got to stay really? alive, but I think so. what's going on with that. So why do you feel like the need for the talk? I think the need for the talk is because there is a continued narrative that police pluck off black people. Okay. And, you know, so, I have, so there's not a need for the talk, but, or is there, I, I think there's really a need. Help. I think there's a okay. need for every person to have the talk. How do you, and not because you're black though, but because police officers wield authority they um yeah. they should be respected you know i'm not going to just mouth off to a police officer um you know as a christian i wouldn't do that because he's an image bearer um right. an image bearer of god but i think just raising children to be responsible and respectful with authority is important i think that um you know if you are pulled over and you need to reach for your license and registration. You should tell the police officer, Hey, look, I have to reach for it. It's in my glove compartment. Um, especially in this day and age, because in this day and age, police officers are also, you know, if we want to stay with the same terms, you know, leery of being plucked off. Yes. And they want, they go through training which is designed to scare them to, I mean, they see the worst situations where, um, and see, actually the worst situations sometimes are the least ones that you would expect. Yeah. Like sociologically, I guess, 
you know, could be someone that doesn't look harmful at all. Yes. Uh, doesn't meet doesn't meet a description that has been given of some activity in the in the area. And then next thing you know, the, the police officer is dead. Yes. And we don't have enough conversations about that. In my personal opinion, I don't think we, um, we truly have enough conversations about the mental health of a police officer. Yeah. There's a lot of demand on police officers. Fight or flight, man, that, that nervous system state Mm -hmm. will tear you up. Yeah. And it'll tear anybody up. It it surely will. You know, when you get a police officer into a community that is also extremely violent, that has right. had rough interactions with That's the police. Right. Yeah. You're getting two. Yeah. And PTSD. hostile views about what the, the police is. Yeah. Exactly. That we just had, we, we just we had a guy talk about it. Let me plug a, 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 the a, a recent uh, episode we did uh, last week with Maverick Stevenson, who is, uh, it's M A V Y R K. He makes me make sure I spell it right. He's, uh, the episode is called, uh, he rides a Harley and he's black and he has a concealed carry permit. And so we talked about in LA, we talked about, um, what it's like for him to get pulled over by the police and he's got a gun on him. And so, yeah, he's had some interesting encounters. So he does think that being black does have some kind of role to play in the, in the encounter that you need to be aware of, but it's, he says it's not determinative, but you just got to be aware that there, sometimes it's just an anti-gun belief that people have. And if you say the word gun, you know, but. You know, he is. I I would recommend that that one from last week for everybody listening. Um, so th- this is interesting. Can I ask you? We're coming up on July fourth. As we all look forward to the July fourth holiday, and we're celebrating the Declaration of Independence from Britain. Do you celebrate July fourth? And if so. What does it mean to you and how do you process what it means to be an American? Um, having lived overseas, I can say that there's no place like home, <laughs> no place. Um, you know, did I, do I celebrate July 4th? Yes, I do now. I think that um, it's, it's important. Um, I haven't always been a fan of July 4th. I don't actually actually believe that, you know, the Declaration of Independence was necessarily meant for, you know, African-Americans, Blacks, at a time when, you know, slavery was real. Um, And yet, I believe that within the Declaration of Independence, God allowed for there to be a provision for hope and promise. I believe that the way that it was worded and written um, eventually caused others to to question, you know, how are we upholding the values of our nation when we have people enslaved? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm grateful for that. What language are you referring to? in the declaration that the way it was worded 
probably um gosh for hope and promise i would say life liberty and like the pursuit of happiness you know when when you are enslaved there is no pursuit of happiness you know um or liberty Mm -hmm. right um you know i i like i said i haven't always upheld that thought process but i do see that god providentially allowed things to be put in there mm-hmm. that would serve um you know not just a white nation but would serve the american people in the future i just celebrated and i feel like our entire nation you know should and could celebrate Juneteenth. Juneteenth was the day or is the day when the news of freedom from slavery came to Texas. And in in looking at that, that event and celebrating the independence from slavery for those people, I feel like that is as celebratory as July 4th. And I know people might disagree, but I believe that as believers, we should celebrate when people are like freed from, from a bondage, um, you know, like a physical, they're, they're physically enslaved. And so I do see this as a, a win for our nation, not just for yeah. the black people who were enslaved or who are the American descendants of slavery. I believe white people right. should celebrate if you're a Christian, I think you should be celebrating. Um, and I look at that the same with the end of, with the independence received from our, for our nation as well. I am an American. Um, when I travel overseas, even though I would say I'm an African-American, they would know, honey, you're American. They, there's not a, a ton of distinction. Um, and so, yeah, I, I thank God for America. I thank God for her values and, um, how they, how American values and traditions are different than the values and traditions in other countries, but what it means to be an American, it, it's, it's a good thing. And if you haven't traveled outside of America, you know, you might say, well, America is the most racist nation or America has all these problems and things like that. <laughs> what we're hearing from yeah. some people very loudly is not true. America is not the most racist nation. Um, right. We do have some problems. We are, you know, filled with sinners but every nation is yes that's right every nation is i love how you put that with sin yeah. you couch that into a wider story of sin of human sin and it is a wider story it's interesting i mean like does it mean that you you um ignore i don't think we should ignore anything right right but that's actually kind of why I like what, that you said that because you, you, you're not ignoring sin, the human no. story of sin. And so what is it when I ask my students, what is it that makes racism bad? And sometimes I'll say it a little differently. I'll ask a little differently in a way to prompt thought. And sometimes I'll ask it like this. 
why is racism bad? And notice how it sounds different when I say it the second way. Because the second way, there's a little bit of a suspicion that I might be a racist because I'm asking that. But if you just listen to what I'm asking, it's the same question. And the reason I prompt that is, is because, you know, we all, not all, but it seems like most people think racism is bad. And I mean, people act like even if you're a racist, you don't want to be called a racist, right? So, I mean, even a racist thinks it's bad. Okay. Well, but well, then why? What is it about it that's bad? So gets people thinking like, mm-hmm. yeah, what is it about that that's bad? Is it is it? And you got to go back to human rights at some point. You got to go to me, the Ten Commandments, like with, um, oh my gosh, this is going to look so bad that I can't remember his name. Two years ago, the the police officer was knee on his chest. What was his name? George Floyd. Played? George Floyd. Sorry. Like, I've, got so, I've, got, I've got so many dang names in my head. I'm like, okay. Derek Bell. No, not Derek Bell. Idiot. So George Floyd. The the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, right? Don't murder. It doesn't say, and especially don't murder if you have hatred in your heart. Well, I mean, the result is murder, right? (laughs) Either way. I mean, I would you rather be murdered by someone who loves you? I, I, I mean, it's murder, right? God doesn't add anything to that. He doesn't add don't murder, especially if you hate the person and make sure you extra make sure. I mean, it was it was pretty horrific to see uh, an arm agent of the government so callous with human life. However, you couch what happened there and probably was intentional, I think. At least it was negligent, criminally neg- negligent, at least. Right. Yeah. If you leave a baby in the car in the hot, she dies. That's negligent. That's murder. You should have known better. And if it's on purpose, it's the same thing. You should have known better. And I don't know how, see, when people start talking about rights, then you ask, what is the source of these rights? I'm trying to get to the gospel at some point, like, you know, we're all created. That's what, that's the language I was going for in the declaration. We're all created equally. I know it says men. The way I interpret that is short for human. Um, I think that sometimes people will word something and they don't mean it that way. But that's why I loved your point about God's providence about the providence of the way the declaration is worded because it probably was providence. It probably was the Lord directing this new fledgling little toddler of a nation, not even a toddler fetus of a nation, just coming into existence with all this crud and stuff and gunk and 
baggage and evil and sin and fast forward shocker there's a civil war that's a shocker couldn't see that one coming and then you have juneteenth which by the way why don't we have we have a pride month why well i would say have a pride maybe have a pride day juneteenth month i'm with you on that well i think we have black history month in february um where we celebrate you know like all the accomplishments of or you know many of the accomplishments of of blacks (laughs) i think to your point of you know the sin issue and things like that or you know why is why is racism wrong or you know well, think, yeah. asking that question, it, I mean, it depends on, it depends on your, your stand. It depends on your, your worldview, because if you're not a Christian, I would ask, is racism wrong? Right. Right. And you, what, in order for you to get to the, yes, racism is wrong. You have to understand that you have to borrow from the Christian worldview. So in essence, you know, you have no reason to say that killing puppies is wrong or that, um, you know, killing humans is wrong. There is to a degree, a bit of borrowing from our worldview to be able to get there, to say that you should not take human life. I think borrows a bit from our worldview that says people are created in the image of God. People are created with equal dignity, value, and worth that we do not murder. Even outside of um, the, the 10 commandments, you have what was written in the Noahic covenant and how people who were not net yet necessarily um, Hebrews you know, what the, what the Lord's command was to them about how they should participate with each other and um, participate in the earth. It's a lot of what you see reflected back in Genesis. I think we have to understand that no, our culture, pagans do not have a reason to say racism is wrong. Also, I'm not sure why we take our cues from culture because a pagan should not have the ability or the right authority to tell a Christian how to live. That would be, you know, posting your black square flashing Black Lives Matter, making sure you participate in your um, decentering of whiteness or, you know, all of those things. We don't take our cues from the culture, but I have to stress that if you ask someone, why is racism wrong? And they are able to give you an answer, but they are not Christian. They are just borrowing from your worldview. If you are a Christian, I would follow up with, well, where do you get that from? Where do you get the idea that racism is wrong? Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there seems to be a little bit of borrowing there because, and it's it's borrowed capital from a a more biblical past. Is that fair to say? I mean, it's it's tricky to say that because people will say, "Ah, well, it's biblical past. That was segregation, and that was slavery." And yes, and I can 
point back to the ways in which Christians have always believed and participated with, with each other and the way that scripture calls us to participate and the times when scripture has been misused and abused. See, this is the thing is that humans are sinful and we will use whatever we can, not because people are white and not because people are brown or black, but because people are human, right? Human sin. And yeah. I want to give a nod to my ministry partner, Krista, for the whole borrowing of our worldview. Those are, that's her wording. Krista, I, okay. I borrowed that from Krista. Giving yeah. Krista a shout out there. Got to give Krista Bontrager a shout out. The, this, uh, this whole interesting thing about borrowing. Well, I think it comes out in dialogue because people are so, you know, they'll say that's racist. I mean, I, I see this on campus all the time. It's some little thing. They say, oh, that's racist. And people walk on eggshells. And that, that's this is and that's this ism. And you can't even keep up with it anymore. It's like, a, you know, people don't even know what a woman is anymore. And it's like, well, how could that be sexist if you don't know what a woman is? You just said you don't know what a woman is. So it, it's like people are stumbling. They're so, and there a lot of these students and the faculty are, so desirous of fitting in to whatever this new thing is that they don't think for themselves. They don't stop and go, wait, hold on. Do I agree with this? They're looking around for approval uh, and they say the certain syllables and then they see approval from the segment they want approval from. They don't stop and think, why do I want approval from them again? And I saw this with Black Lives Matter to some extent. What do you think of Black Lives Matter, the the phrase or whatever, how the movement? I'm trying not to cuss. I'm trying to get past all these things. And here you are asking me about Black Lives Matter. I can't. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter. We did is not a, plan this, everybody. No. This is the first time I'm meeting Monique. So this is all real time, right? Yeah. We're just keeping it real. Black Lives Matter is an organization that is meant um, to support the black trans life. It, and they've, they've since scrubbed their website, but they are not about the black nuclear family. They don't care if black kids kill other black kids or if black, you know, women are divorcing black men at, you know, one of the highest, highest rates, um, in our country, as far as divorce rates go, they don't care about black abuse. They don't care about black poverty. They care when a white person kills a black person, whether it's in self-defense, whether if, whether it's a police person, whether, whatever it is, it is about, um, obtaining power, um, power structures, um, and basically supporting the black trans life. And that's all you see. Where's is, where is Black Lives Matter right now in Chicago? Where's Black Lives Matter in, um, in Baltimore or in Philadelphia? Where, where, where are they? But many, many black people are dying every day, not at the hands of white people, not at the hands of white police officers, at the hands of other black people. Where is the training you know, for how to, to go into a community and help stop gang violence and gun violence. Where is Black Lives Matter in promoting um, high school education? 
where is Black Lives Matter in promoting going to a trade school or understanding if a college will be better for you than a trade school? How do we do, how do we keep Black marriages together? How do we get Black churches out from being in bed with the Democrats? Black Lives Matter ain't about Black people. They could give two rats patooties about Black people in general. And all these people- I could tell people, you almost cussed. I could tell you almost cussed. I, I'm, but the Lord is working with me. I'm a work in progress. Um, but they don't. And no, no shame for me. I, I I struggle with it too. How many how many millions of dollars have been sent to the Black Lives Matter organization to promote what Patrice Colors buying another mansion? She lives over in Toluca Lake, surrounded by white people. Wow. You, or you know what I mean? It's like she's over right, in right. that it's like Toluca Lake or somewhere up in in like on the west side. That's a nice area, right? Yeah. Toluca Lake is a very nice area. But she's I'm not sure if it's Toluca Lake or somewhere up off the like beyond the well, all like, those all those doesn't houses matter, are but, like way more than anybody can but afford. If if I'm not mistaken, she bought four, maybe five different houses. Like on whose dime? Like People, I need, I need people to wake up and understand, like, if you want to support black people, then get to it. Get I, Hi, I'm, I'm still black. We yeah, are still yeah. in the same interview. Yeah. I am still black. Yeah. Um, go to Center for Biblical Unity dot com. Like, there you go. We, we need to have better conversations than what we're doing. And we need to understand that just because a black person comes to you and says, hey, look, I'm really standing for black people. If you don't do your due diligence, you actually may be funding sin. Wow. Somebody going to write you, I'm sure. But that's okay because no, I no, said no. what I said. Oh, I love it because this reason I love it is cuz it's honest. And I'm I'm so sick of the the Bible says stop lying to each other. It says that, yeah. you know. And and I'm like that that's the most frustrating part of me being on the campuses is there's so much censorship and deception. And a lot of it is self-censorship. Mm-hmm. People self-censor what they want to say or what they want to ask or uh, because they want to fit in and they don't want to be, they don't want to be canceled. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of confusion out there. And I think a lot of the confusion can be healed because i think it needs healing i think it is a disease that jesus healed diseases he cares about that and i think the way we heal the disease of confusion cannot always be healed okay or maybe it won't maybe the lord could but he doesn't sometimes is that we got to talk we have to be honest and we have to be clear with what we're saying we have to listen and people don't have an attention span. I don't know what it is with social media. I don't know what it not, but people don't have an attention span anymore. We used to write letters and send them in the mail. And now it's like, I've, I have students that have never mailed anything in their entire life. They don't even know what a checkbook is. Not kidding. They've never written a check. Wow. And this is how I'm not that old. I have a checkbook in my pocket. Wow. You know, when we look at, or when I look at um, what's happening in our culture, I first tend to look at it from a a spiritual 
point of view because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Um, a lot of what I see happening, and this isn't to over-spiritualize it by any means, but I do believe that people bow to the critical social theory gods. It's, it's very much its own religion. You have, and we did a, we did a podcast about this. My ministry partner and I did a, a podcast on the new canon. All the books that you have to read. What are all the works that must be done? I should How, link that. I should link that in the notes. Yeah. Uh, send me the link to that. I'll link it in the note for this episode. Yeah, I can do that. Um, it is, it is its own religion. It has its own gods and you have to appease those gods. And if you do not appease those gods, or if you step out of line then you will be doxxed or canceled, you'll lose your job. Pepsi, uh, not Pepsi. I think it was Coke has already told you part of what your, what your number one 10 commandment is be less white. There are ways in which this social movement, um, and when I say social movement, I mean a movement that's happening within society in many different areas. So looking at the critical social theories and applying them to different areas. So you have race, gender, um, sexual orientation, child studies, like all of these different um, critical social theories, but they have their own requirements, their, their own um, you know, ways in which you appease the gods and their own list of punishments if you step out of line. Stepping out of line will get you kicked out of the tribe. It will get you doxxed. It will get you fired. It means that you might have to move. And as Christians, I believe we have a much better answer than the culture. But unfortunately, as you mentioned earlier, you know, when we don't talk about sin and, and the real issue that we have as humans and starting there, how do we ever think we're going to be able to be um, an answer to a culture that has questions? How are we going to be, even if we forgot about the culture, the church is being divided by these issues. How do we give answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus when I just look like the culture. When we when we get our, our cues from the culture, as a Christian, I should never go to the pagan to find out how to do life, how to love when I have a God who is love, when, how to do justice when the word says that justice is, is his foundation. But yet we go, we go to the, the pagan and we say, please teach me, teach me your ways please. I will pay you, Robin D'Angelo, $20,000 for an hour of your time to teach wow. me your ways. Please teach me, Ibram X. Kendi. Teach me your ways. I there's don't get very, it. There's a very powerful human motivation to fit in. It's overpowering to most people. I mean, that, think about it. That's why there's accents. You ever wonder why there's accents? Like, why do you go to an area and they all talk the same? Why do you go to England and they talk like that? It's because people want to fit in. They start, it starts in childhood. And I remember when I was in seventh grade, it's a dumb story, but uh, you know, everybody, I, I hated, I hated seventh grade. Mm. All of a sudden the rules changed. I didn't understand why. All of a sudden, everybody was rolling up their pants, rolling up their jeans. And I did. I wasn't. I didn't even know how to do it. There was a certain way you're supposed to do it. 
But if you didn't, there was some kind of weird spirit about it. And I remember I eventually started doing it because I was harassed less. So I went along with it. And so I never forgot that. I, I, I just, when I, when I see things, I see new, new ways of talking and new ways of not thinking. I, I almost said new ways of thinking. It's actually new ways of not thinking. You know, people want to fit in. It's the rainbow thing. Now everybody's got the rainbow thing. What does it even mean? We don't even know what it means anymore. You know, now it means you can't define words. Yes. It didn't mean that at first. It did. It did have to do with definition, changing definitions. Like with marriage. And then people thought, oh, you're just changing definition of marriage. That's that's all we want. We don't want to do anything else. You guys had marriage for so long. We want a part of it. We want a chunk of it. Now just here we are. Now we get to have that too. We want to have be the chunk. So we're going to redefine that word. And I was thinking to myself, eh, that's not all you want to redefine. Yes. Because the way you got there was by saying that I, you, you had to give me, you had to get that result because I hate you. But to say that you had to redefine hate because disagreeing is not the same thing as hate. Go ahead so you and had preach. To say, you had to say, okay, hatred means disagreement now. Yes. So there was this in California, there was a saying in, in, in 2008 called Prop 8, which defined marriage consistent with the Bible, but it wasn't from the Bible. It's not like it said, this is what the Bible says, and that's what the law of California is. It was actually in the in the dictionary. And when I, when I teach on this in class, I taught at Cal State uh, uh, constitutional law class, and I, I brought my computer in, and I said, that's the, my Apple computer has that definition in the dictionary. It's just the English language. So, so they, were, they were like, they couldn't believe that. They were just blown away because they don't read the dictionary. But, yes. but anyway, they were like, um, well, the, 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 ant, the Prop 8 thing, the going against it was called the No Hate Campaign, and it was yeah. No H8. And the implication is if you vote for Prop 8, you hate, and so no hate. So I was like, well, but I disagree, but that doesn't mean I hate. And I, here's why I know that, because you disagree with me. Do you hate me? Because if you hate me, then you mean yes, hate not mm -hmm. no hate you mean yes hate just your kind of hate yes and i mean just little things like that that like my students would be like i've never heard this before that's because professors like me are nor normally not allowed on campus somehow i squeaked through and they're trying they're trying to get rid of me to your point about so you say you don't like critical race theory do you, but you use it from a you think about a spiritual lens is it critical spiritual theory how do you what's your theory on how to look at everything my theory is just <laughs> historically christian how are we looking at things from a historically christian perspective this is something else that i learned from krista um is that you know after krista's, krista's white right krista is white yes you want to talk about that 
Um, you can bring it, bring it in if you want. I think it's interesting. It's interesting because I think I had a ton of suspicion around Krista. Um, she's, she's literally just sitting right here. She's such a mess. Um, I had a ton of, of suspicion around Krista because she was white and yet we had this conversation, this unlikely conversation or, or friendship. Um, and we just, we were just committed to each other. We were committed to have hard conversations, but we were definitely committed to each other. So that meant yelling sometimes that meant crying other times that meant, you know, walking away or driving away, you know, very upset sometimes, but being committed to the relationship. And I was committed to, as she was committed to the word of God. And so I was willing to be wrong if, if I could find it, if I could find the proof in the word of God. So I just kept searching and having conversations and challenging her. Like this wasn't just the, you know, I met Krista and Monique changed. This was a, we met each other and we both changed. Um, but what changed for me was my worldview. I think um, what I, what I think in breaking down my worldview, I didn't just want to look at American Christianity. I wanted to understand how had the early church dealt with issues of partiality. If there's nothing new under the sun, trust me, somebody somewhere has, you know, had racism, what we oh, would yeah. today call racism in their heart. Oh, yeah. And so how, how did we, how did the church deal with it? How did the, you know, early fathers deal with it? And so I looked at um, the Coptic church and the things that they said about it. There's a, a Coptic answer channel on YouTube. And I watched some of their videos, not even about racism, just about how the, you know, they believe in being a church that is, um, more, more ancient faith looked at, um, you know, some, some of the like early church writings, what did the church believe on social justice? Because I am a big justice girl. I don't call it social justice anymore. I did it that time, but what was the stand on, you know, helping the poor and children and those kind of things. Um, so yeah. I mean, why, why do it, you not call it social justice? Because all justice is social. I think one of the things that one of the redefinitions is, yeah, it's, it's taking justice and, you know, now adding social to it. Like you've got this new plan and program. No, justice is a biblical word. It's a biblical concept. And so let's call it what it is. It's justice. All justice is social because all justice involves other people. Right. That makes sense. It's like, have you seen my mammal dog? That's right. It's like, well, all dogs are mammals. So yes. why would you call it mammal dog? Exactly. But see, as what, opposed so, to what, what other dogs do you have? Whatever. No one has a reptile dog, but what social justice does is that it allows for the addition of non-biblical concepts. So now I am a social justice warrior or a social justice advocate, and I'm advocating for anything that the culture says is a justice issue. That is not true. Biblical justice advocates for the things that the scripture tells us to advocate for. We can use our voice on behalf of the poor. 
and the marginalized. But I do that based on what the scripture, who the scripture defines as marginalized or oppressed. It's not the entire list that the Minnesota Psychological Association has put out. Felons, child molesters, um, gamblers, drug addicts, gifted and talented persons. No. When we look in scripture, there's a clear distinction as to who is at risk for marginalization or oppression and how we use our our, our voice on, on their behalf. How do we treat the poor? Well, I find that in scripture. I don't find that by going and reading how to be an anti-racist. You don't get some letters. I'm sorry. I I, I love the letters and I will actually read them. The, the uh, there's a couple things. First is there's a lot in the Bible about the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. A lot of people that are not biblically literate which is another problem being biblically illiterate. That's a that big problem. Me. There's a lot there and you might be surprised at how much care and concern there is for the child, the, the orphan, the fatherless, the widow. Uh, I mean, warfare was huge. People were getting killed. The, the men were getting killed. Women had to fend for themselves. Can you imagine back then? Can't even imagine what kind of stuff that's not even written because the Mm -hmm. Bible doesn't go into all the detail about what those concerns really were. Yeah. And you can only imagine what they really were, but But what, what, how do you, and then I got to ask about Kendi after, like, what do you think about him? And what does that mean? Anti-racist. So when we look in scripture, we, we have clear, um, commands on, on how to treat people. You get the 10 commandments in Exodus, but then you get full books. Look at Leviticus, look at Deuteronomy, which is just a lot of repeating of the 10 commandments, but it's broken down into, this is actually how you do it. This is how you walk it out. You know, but we, we skip over that. We skip over and say, well, that's law. I'm not, I'm not, you know, under the law because I have Jesus. No, hold on. We just don't throw the law out. Because we have Jesus, the law informs us on how to love God and how to love neighbor. When we look at um, some of so we, the rules. You, so you're saying we should spank our kids? <laughs> Were you spanked? That's, that's a whole nother conversation. Right. Um, and Fair enough. That, that, that's a different conversation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, because, I, I could tell if I had you as a mom, you're talking about Leviticus. I know what's coming. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're not going to let me go on this. some of this stuff. It depends on the personality of the child, actually. Am I pro spanking? I am pro what is best for discipline of the child. I am pro discipline. I do think that children need proper discipline, but that you can look at a child and see, you know, this that makes sense. This child is not going to do well being spanked. Yeah. You can, oh. he, and if spanking is done correctly, it would generally only take. I'd say two spankings over the child's lifetime for the child to understand like not even what they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to be, but to understand, you know, the dynamics of a home and how we participate with one another and their, their participation and their role as the child and things like that. Um, Yeah. I, I have looked into spanking quite deeply. So like I said, a different conversation, um, for a different time, but 
in relation to what and like how we treat each other, you can look at the gleaning laws. You can look at, um, you know, how, how does the, the word say that we should treat the poor? Um, the poor among us. How does the word say that we treat the foreigner? Now, see, this is where a social justice warrior gets you yeah, caught up right. because the foreigner among you was not the person just cr- crawling over your borders. That was not the foreigner among you. The foreigner among you was were those who had come from outside nations. Think of um, Ruth in the in the book of Ruth. Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Ruth, her husband had died along with Naomi's husband. There were no men left um, in their family. It was actually three. I'm just trying to condense the story. So Ruth, um, Naomi. For me too, because sometimes I forget the details. Thanks. So there was Ruth, Orpa, and Naomi. Naomi was the mother-in-law to Orpa and Ruth. They all had husbands. So Naomi was married and um, her and her husband had two sons. These two sons die. So now Naomi's left with Orpa and Ruth. Naomi tells Orpa and Ruth, go back to your home. They were in Moab. Okay, so they weren't in the land of of the Hebrews. They were out now in um, a land adjacent to or next to the Hebrews, but they were not under the Lord's covering territory. Naomi says, hey, there's a famine in the land. I'm going to go back. I hear that there's food back in her homeland. So you guys go back, worship your gods, do you boo. I'm going to go back home. It's been a good ride, but you know, the gods is gone and I got to go home. Orpa eventually says, see you later. Ruth says, no, I will make your God my God. I will go with you along the way. Naomi tells her, no, that that it's not really for you. These are my people. Ruth tells her again, I'm going to make your God my God. I'm going to go with you. So Ruth goes into the land. She goes back home with, um, with Naomi and she makes God, the God of the Hebrews, she makes Naomi's God, her God. This is what it was when a foreigner came to live among you. It wasn't just that, you know, we have people who climb over border walls and, you know, they just want to come into the camp and now we're just going to have a feeding scheme for them. No, the foreigner among you was the foreigner who had made your God, their God. It was the foreigner who was living a righteous life among you. But what the social justice warrior will do will say, well, you're not living biblically. You're you're not living biblically if you don't create all of these different feeding schemes or welfare programs for all of the foreigners among you. No, the foreigner Which is a reason for them to come up here, but not for making, not for uh, being a part of the community. Yes. Like you're saying. Yes. There, and there were laws by which the people had to participate with the foreigner. If the foreigner was making your God, their God, if the okay. foreigner was poor, they, the, 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 the gleaning laws apply to them. Um, but you could charge interest to the foreigner where you would not charge interest to the poor among you who were your brothers and sisters in the land. There were different ways of participating, but the foreigner was expected to work the same way that the poor were expected to work. Right. You mentioned gleaning laws. What, mm-hmm. what Can you explain what that is for those who haven't heard that term? So gleaning is God's provision for the poor was his provision for food for the poor. So a righteous Hebrew person and a Hebrew um, is just it, were the Jews. Um, a, a person who understood God's moral law would understand 
that the scriptures told people who owned property that when you went out to pick the harvest of your land, you were supposed to leave the edges unpicked. If you had picked, like, let's say your apples or whatever, and three of the apples fell out of the bucket and now they're on the ground, still edible, still fine. You're not to pick them up. You're to leave them there. You leave them for the, for the poor and the indigent among you. Hmm. And then the poor could come in Nobody had gathered up the apples. And now, you know, we got to we have our bag of 45 apples per family just waiting. All you have to do is walk by and we're going to hand you a bag. No, the foreigner had to come in with their own materials. So if you need a ladder, if you need whatever it is that you need, you need to bring your own material and you have to do the work to get your food. It's a very different system. But what the person who is not um, informed biblically, what they will hear is God had a provision for the poor. We need to have provisions for the poor. I can agree with that. But the way in which we have provisions for the poor is extremely important because when we don't have provisions for the poor, according to God's moral law, I will, I may become susceptible to fall into sin and to dishonor the image of God in that person or the dignity, value, and worth that that person has. It is dishonoring to someone's dignity. Honestly, I believe when you're just handing out money willy-nilly and they don't have to work. When we separate work from, from financial income or gain, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the, I, I feel like you you gonna have letters in you know. I, that's I all right. Don't, don't know what to say. That's all right. You know, they the good thing about calling it what it is, Republican professor, is they can't really complain about it. It's like, well, what you know, like if I called it something else, you know, people would be like, you're not really, you know. But it's like, well, you know, hey, I'm just being myself here. Yeah. Um, I, I got a question. You, you mentioned Democrats a couple times. What do you think of the Democrats and what uh, this is not a can of worms at all? You know, no yeah. can of worms here. But what do you think of the Democrats? And, and if there are any Republicans listening or independents or libertarians or whatever, what would you hope that Republicans would take away from this conversation? And what? What would you like? Um, and I, I know that's a can of worms because there's different geographies and there's different concerns, different parts of the country. People in Montana are going to hear this differently than somebody in Atlanta might. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the way it is. But assuming they got this far and they're interested, there's a lot of different people that have different different friends, different places. They might want to share this and share your message how to support you so they're they're just listening at this point um so i guess i just asked two questions you've mentioned the democrats i i I felt some some irritation i felt some disappointment um and i'm probably not saying it the way you would say it but yeah why don't you take that well i am neither republican nor democrat at this point i don't really feel like either party is, you know, I, I don't, safe isn't the right word, but um, 
I, I, I'll say I have concerns. <laughs> I have a lot of concerns. I have a ton of concerns with the Democrats, let's just be honest. But I was raised by a Democrat mother. Um, and I just figured that when you turned 18 and you were able to vote, you automatically voted Democrat because you're Black. Democratic, the Democrat Party is a party for the Black people. Right. That is, that's kind of just the way I was raised. Um, voted for Obama and, you know, there you have it. Um, and then came Trump. And it, you, now you went special. to Biola and you voted for Obama? Yes. Oh, yeah. What was it about Obama that you liked? He was black. Yeah. That, You're just I mean, laying it out there, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, that was it. So I would expect nothing less from you. I, I, I wasn't following I wasn't following a lot of the, you know, um did you the, think he the, was attractive physically? No, he's old. He was I mean at that time I'd have been like he's old. All right. I just sure. I was probing a little bit to see if there's anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know. No, he was black and that's it. Like after after the history that our nation has had, um, you know, to see a black president to me, I, it, and it still is, it is still a phenomenal event. Because what other nation smile he does and he he does does look like he works out. So, well, I don't know. Um, But, (laughs) you know, like what other nation in our history would say that, you know, they can have your slaves, the descendants of your slaves become presidents. When you look at India, when you are born into a caste system, that is the caste that you die in. And that is the caste that your descendants will die in. And so I think that there is something to our nation to say, look, we actually back the things that we say. Now, do we do it right all the time? No. Was that a good enough reason to vote for him, you think? At the time, I know a yes. lot of people, that's why they voted for him. At the time. They wanted, they wanted yeah. that to be true. Mm-hmm. At the and time, I, it was. It was a good enough reason to vote for him for me. Today, yeah. okay. Today I wrestle. Today I, I now now that Did I know he make what himself I know. irrelevant then. Obama. Now I don't mean irrelevant. That's too strong. But he I would say got the party. Rid of the, he okay. got rid of what? Sorry. Gotcha. I I don't even know what I was going to say. I was and it was a half thought. I wasn't it wasn't fully baked yet. Took it out of the oven too soon. Sorry. I would say that the party has almost made, I I would not say his presidency is irrelevant at all by any means. Um, I would not say that he as a person is irrelevant by any means. I think there's tons that we can learn from each president. There will be be tons that we will learn from Biden, um, tons that we will um, continue to learn from Trump's administration. and what did you when, think of uh, what did you think of Trump? I thought that he was very crass. Um, yeah, I think that he was very direct. I don't think people fully appreciate what he said. Um, and I'm going to completely miss this statement or, and mix it up. But when he told black people, like, basically, what the hell do you have to lose if you vote for me? You ain't got nothing now. Look at your cities. That 
people need people needed to to wake up and and listen but instead because of the the political tug of war that the parties play with black people no one really paid attention yeah i think there were some i think they're you know like the the cuban vote down in florida and things like that but gotcha I think he was a little too crass um, and mm-hmm. the the racism rhetoric that had been pumped into America did not help him. But now what I'm seeing in a Biden administration, I see tons of black people on social media all the time saying, I miss Trump. Where Where is Trump? Can we get some Trump gas? Because this Biden gas is killing me. Yeah. Now that's no joke either. No, it really isn't. That's that's life or death for people trying to get to work. Mm -hmm. In looking at the the Democrat or Republican Party, I don't think that many black people understand the history of the Democrats with black people, nor do they understand the history of the Republican Party with black people. They do not understand that post-Civil War, there were more um, black Republicans seated in places of leadership and office, like governmental office, than there were at any time in our nation's history. I do not think that people understand that Blacks have historically voted in Block. And so, um, gosh, and there, there, there actually is a name, and you might know it because you know history and the Republican Party. But in 1887, there was a presidential tie and the Republican, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party kind of struck a deal at, at, during the time of Reconstruction. Right. The Republican Party got the presidency if they would do away with the efforts of Reconstruction. Yeah. That was the deal that was made. When it that was actually 76. 1876? 77. 77 is when that took effect. Yes. So with that. That's a key point. It's That's it's a, a huge point in point. American history. It's a huge point because yeah. with that, the Democratic Party of the South began to institute what it, we now call Jim Crow laws. Yeah, you see, within a matter of for some hours, weeks, months, the people who were in government positions, who held offices, who were black are being removed. They are being threatened um, with death if they vote. And you see this this removal of the Black voice from the Republican vote. But we weren't Democrat either because the Democrats were the slaveholders. Fast forward. Fast forward to the desegregation of the, um, the federal government. It was the desegregation of the federal government that led Black people to begin to vote Democrat. That was was the the shift in our voting power because now the Democrats are showing that they're on our side. And because we do vote in Bloc, I don't think that we are uh, a monolith, but we tend to vote in in Bloc even if we don't agree with all of the positions of the party. But we have voted Democrat ever since. 
without understanding that the Democratic Party plays on the race narrative of Black people. And they have since the the turning of the, the desegregation of the federal government. Are you talking about the Civil Rights Act of 1964, 65? Are you talking about before that? No, I want to say it's before then. And I am... I didn't know we were going to go down this route. Oh, it's all right. It's um, you got a, you got a pretty, you got a, what you're, I think this is what I'm gleaning from your, your thought pattern here is that the history of the parties is not a, a common topic at parties. And, and um, it's not something you see a lot of people getting, digging into the details on and trying to understand and so there's some facts on the ground that might be quite surprising to people if they knew uh, the historical patterns and incidences and examples that you're referring to um, where the Democrats were actually the bad guys <laughs> and and Republicans maybe not were maybe weren't the good guys, but at least they weren't as bad as these bad guys. And maybe they were doing some good things, too. That's politics is a very messy business, as you mentioned with Trump. I my my version of Trump is he was not a politician. And then he definitely didn't talk like a politician. But if you listen to enough politicians, they are really annoying because they repeat the same things over and over again, slogans. He does too, but, but they are fake. You know, that's, that's what I'm getting at. And I, I never got the sense that Trump was fake. So, but then it, I think it cost him, him the election because he didn't watch what he says and he talks too much. He tweets too much. And he, if he just would have shut up and stopped tweeting, probably, he probably would be president right now, frankly, to be honest with you. We might even have better gas prices. I don't know. But I was on the campuses when he was elected in L.A. And the, the reaction I saw was so crazy. It was so out of the world crazy. I, it was hard. to. I can't overstate it. I mean, first of all, people were blocking the highway. Now, it's a Democrat city. What sense does that make? You're blocking other Democrats from getting to work. From people that don't have a job, obviously. But it's just weird. And then you'd get to campus and people, I had students coming to me, Mexican students or other Hispanic, asking me, are they going to be deported? And stuff like that. I think, what are you talking about, deported? Uh, no, of course not. I don't think so. Um, anyway, I, I just, uh, maybe I just wasn't keeping track of everything that was said. Cause I couldn't, I didn't have the energy and everybody was like going on these rabbit holes about what was said and I didn't catch it. I don't, uh, maybe I wasn't, I just wasn't concerned about it, but, but I, I didn't get the sense that he was a racist. Did you feel like Trump was a racist or is, I guess he's still alive. <laughs> maybe his views have changed. I don't know. I think you're on mute. 
Maybe I'm on me. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I think that some things that he said weren't necessarily the most racially sensitive. Um, yeah. I think that just because something is not racially sensitive, though, does not necessarily make you a racist. Right. I think we need to be careful, especially in this culture of just outright, you know, declaring someone a racist. How I would think, you define racist? What What is a racist? I would define it biblically. So I would say someone who okay. holds partiality in their heart towards someone because of their ethnicity, skin color, um, region of origin, something like that. And that, that is mixed with hatred or slander, um, you know, some of those those well, that was a sins. that was very biblical can you say that one more time i said it is yeah. um someone who holds partiality in their heart because of someone's ethnic makeup region of origin um skin color and that partiality is mixed with slander and hatred um and probably a, a couple of other sins, but slander and hatred are the two that come to me right now. Wow. What, what's, what strikes me as biblical about that is anytime someone says something about the heart, you don't hear normal people talk about the heart that way, unless it's like Valentine's day, but that's not really the same heart. Mm -hmm. The heart of the person is like the deepest center of who they are. And then the word partiality, that's a very biblical word to me. So, yeah. I think you've thought about that very biblically. I try. I try. I've had a lot of help. It's I actually done this in your own. job title. There it is. Yes. Um, how, did you, but... how did you come up with this uh, Center for Biblical Unity and how can people support you? And tell us about it. How do you, what I do, was, you do on a normal basis? Like, I was driving down the street. And the name literally just popped into my head right before I turned into the gate to the community where we live. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And so I didn't tell anybody <laughs> and I just held on to it. And eventually I told Kristen was like, man, I can't shake this name. I have no idea, you know, what this is or anything like that. Um, and from there, it just was conversations and, um, we were invited to do a training on critical race theory at a conference and at a, at we, a pagan conference or at a Christian yeah, conference at a Christian conference. Okay. And we made some, you know, Krista made our, our, uh, like a small website, but it was, I don't want to say even just like a page. Um, and we thought, well, maybe we'll, you know, train pastors on how to have these conversations and just do that, you know, here and there, um, and because we thought that's what all it would be, I decided to do the paperwork um, to make it a nonprofit. But then there was Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd in 2020. We were formed February 24th of 2020. And from there, wow. it just wow. took off. It, it wow. literally transformed in a matter of hours. We, in and I want to say like a 36 hour period, Nancy Piercy, Natasha Crane and Alicia, Alisa Childers um, 
mentioned us either in blogs or on Twitter or their social media accounts. And people just flocked to our website with pain, with questions. The Center for Biblical Unity was started because after the Lord showed me the true reality of Ephesians and the fact that white or black, we are family and that, um, you know, as a fighter, you know, you go hard for family. You, you defend your family. Doesn't matter what, what their skin color is. And what I was seeing in, um, around the Ahmad Arbery situation was so much vitriol and hatred toward white Christians that I wanted to say something. I felt like I needed to say something as a black Christian to defend white brothers and sisters, to be like, not every white person you meet is a racist. And as Christians, we don't talk about our family this way. I did one video on YouTube and just posted it on my personal, you know, Facebook page and on my YouTube page that I had and people either loved it or they hated it. And they were quite clear that they hated it. Um, and, you know, chose to stop talking to me or, you know, block me or whatever. And that's fine. But that's where we started from. I thought that, um, as a Christian and being someone who is related to a white person now, because truly the word says that we come into the household of faith, that he has knocked down this dividing wall, that to those who believe on his name, he has given the right to become children of God. If we are both children, we are both heirs to the promise. You are my brother, whether you have white skin or not. And I was just like, well, here, we're going to make this video and just let people know. And from there, CFBU was was born, I'd say between, between that video, doing um, that conference and Nancy Piercy, Natasha Crane and Elisa Childers mentioning us in blogs or on social media. You know, we went from 39 followers, 35, 39 followers to 14, 15,000 in a matter of days. From there, um, I wow. started to, to put out a call, you know, hey, Incredible. this, it, it, it's only the Lord. Um, but oh, I, wait, I, those are other ahead. people like I, mm -hmm. the way I get my followers is I just keep creating accounts and then I, but I can't remember the passwords. And so There's I was going to ask you, how do you remember all those passwords? But you're saying those are real other people that they're real other people. Nancy Piercy is an amazing Oh yeah. She's a big woman. name. She's a big name. Yeah. yeah. And so I've read her books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just put it out there and was like, Hey, there's no way I can, you know, run CFBU. And I was working full-time in social service. Um, I was the director of a multi-site food pantry. We were right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and you know, we were serving three, 2,500 to 3,000 families a week. And so, wow. Where was this? Do you mind just saying? Yeah. It, and I'm, I won't say the name of the pantry, but it was in Glendora. We had th three sites. So one in Glendora, one in Baldwin park and another one right at, um, oh, what, in Azusa. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. So Azusa Baldwin park and Glendora and people, anyone who lived within, you know, the LA County border could, or LA area could come and receive food. And so that's what I was doing. I was running, you know, these three food pantries and making sure that people had clothes and access to social services and things like that. Was when that a government position or was a, it was uh, private, private. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was private. Right. And so that's what I was doing. And I was like, okay, I need to leave my job. 
how can I get money? So I started a Patreon account and then moved away from Patreon to actually a more um, like solid giving site that most churches use or a lot of churches use. And I've put out calls like, hey, you guys, we need an office. Like I can't run CFBU out of my bedroom anymore. And people gave so that we could have an office. Um, I have, you know, said, hey, we need we need to write curriculum so that people have a better understanding of what it means to be a child of God and reconciled. We are not working on racial reconciliation if you're in the body of Christ. If you are in the body of Christ, we are reconciled. Ephesians 4 tells us how we can maintain our unity. Read it. Let's talk about it. And that's what Reconciled is. Reconciled is our six-week small group curriculum that talks about our reconciliation as believers. We are no longer taking our marching orders from pagans, from the culture. And so that is, that's what we did. We put that call out and people gave. We, um, we needed. What's the name of the new site? Is it, it's not Patreon? What is it? it? No, Center for Biblical Unity. Dot oh, com. the giving site mm-hmm. you okay. can go right to our website and donate we have we're a volunteer run ministry so krista and i um draw a salary and a week ago we hired someone part-time to help with our admin stuff but aside from that we have 48 volunteers 48 Yes. Wow. To help run. It takes a lot to be able to, to run a ministry. We want to make sure that we are equipping people. This isn't just a come sit by the fire thing. Jesus wasn't just a come sit by the fire, you know, kind of guy. It, Matthew 28, 19 tells us to go out and to evangelize. We need to be able, Paul tells us to be able to give a defense. I believe it's Paul says to be able to give a defense for Peter. Thank you. I always get my peas mixed up. Um, get, be able to give a defense for yeah. the hope that we have. You don't, you can't just give a defense for the hope that you have if you're just sitting by the fire. You need to be equipped. But right. our pastors are not talking about sin. Our pastors are not equipping people. You're getting feel-good messages about, you know, how you can be all the best that you can be. Right. So we work hard to make sure that we can equip people to have these conversations. How do people get under, that? Go ahead. How do people get that reconciled thing? By going to centerforbiblicalunity.com. You can click under resources, curriculum should be the first tab, and you can order it there. You guys have a nice website. I was Thank a little you. I was a little jealous. Thank I need to you. get like I need I think I need to get your webmaster or something because I don't know anything about website. Do you do the website yourself or did you hire that out? Krista did it. Um, Krista does it. Yeah. We have, we now have a volunteer who works with her on that, but, um, by and large, she, she, yeah, she does it. Um, our, our volunteers help out with that. You got a, (laughs) you got a nice job on the website. Yeah. I really liked, let me describe how, like I, I asked them on to the podcast. I had to go through this process of getting you guys on. It was a very formalized process. I was very impressed with it. It was very organized. (laughs) And, uh, you, you, you put the onus on me and our team to say, to describe why we wanted to have you on and, uh, give like a paragraph. And it was, I was really impressed with that. I was like, oh, wow. Even after going through that little application, I was like, I want to have her on even more now because, uh, I can tell that you're 
honoring your time that God has given you. And you're not, you're, you're wanting to make sure this makes sense with what you're doing, not just getting as much airtime as you can. You're, you're, um, you're strategic about that. Are you, is that part of your gifting? Are you an admin gift person? I can be. This is biblical speak for those of you who don't know speak Bible. I I can be. Um, Krista comes from a background of just ministry. She worked in science apologetics for 25 years at a, a pretty big, reputable ministry. And so they had their own processes and she was like, you know, this might be helpful to, you know, streamline things. She's extremely strategic. So a lot of our processes Um, are because of her gift in, you know, strategy and just being strategic. I, I enjoy admin, but at this point I'm like, I need admin help because, um, you know, writing and speaking and traveling and all that, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't always work well. Okay. Can I ask you, when you look at the American flag, do you think of racism? Do you think, are you sad? Are you, are you depressed? Are you happy? Is it a mix of emotions? Do you feel anything at all? What do you, what, what's your response to the American flag as that's we go really into July question. 4th? Hope. Hope? I think well, that's, that's, that's I positive. Think, I think it's hope. I think we'll take positive. Yeah. Um, flag and, is hope. Okay. And, and real, you know, America represents the best and the worst, but so mm-hmm. does Israel. I, I always yeah. say when you see Israel, you see her in, in the Bible as a prize and a prostitute. And if you see Israel yeah. as a prize and a prostitute, when you look at any other nation, you should be able to see the same. And they got a lot of problems. There, there's a lot of problems. But and if you God's if, chosen if, nations, <laughs> they they and now I am not equating or saying that America is God's chosen nation. What I am saying is that we are but flawed. If, if God's chosen nation could have all those problems. Yes. Even if we were even if we were, we must remember that um, unlike some people would say that, you know, America's original sin is whiteness and racism. That's hogwash. America's original sin is that she was formed by sinful man. We Sin is our, our original problem, just like every other nation. And so when I look at the flag, I can say, you know, there's hope there because I can, I can look at a nation that had slavery in the beginning and yet the descendants of a slave became the president. Right. And even though we have this moment in our culture, which I'm sure is going to be a blip <laughs> on our nation, um, I can still say there is hope that we are a resilient people, that we fight hard, that we love well, and we will keep going. I'm avoiding Kamala Harris. I'm avoiding asking you about her. Please someone in the future is going to, is going to say, you didn't even ask about Kamala Harris because uh, you got Obama first black president but she's a first woman vice president and she's also, she looks black to me. Yeah. She, I think she thinks herself as black. So I guess it's fair to say she's black, but so what do you, what do you think of, uh, well, I'm not going to put you on the spot about anything specifically, but, but is that a good enough reason to vote for her? No, is that I a biblical that. reason. No, it's not a biblical reason. I think when we look at biblical reasons, we would look at, um, 
elders and leaders, the qualifications for elders and leaders? How do you put someone in leadership? What are the, the responsibilities that an elder or leader should be able to bear? Um, are they of good rapport? Um, you know, are they teachable? Are they um, humble? You know, there, there are different ways in which Christians should consider leadership. Are, are, do they uphold God's moral laws? Do they understand, you know, what God's moral laws are? I don't now, think that you know, I, I'm going to push back a little bit because uh-huh. you didn't say any of that about Obama. You said you just voted for him because he's black. Yes. That was the end of it. Yes. And I think I learned the okay. difference between between that time and this ah, vote here, there, there was definitely, yeah, it was definitely ah, okay. a, def- a, a different shift and a development um, in how I thought about these things. I would not vote for Kamala Harris. She so, does so, not support the, okay. she doesn't support Black life. I mean, it, we, going back to mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, when you think about Black yeah. Lives Matter and the Black life, where are they at the abortion centers? If, if Kamala Harris thinks that the overturning of Roe versus Wade is a day that we should all mourn and you know a, a horrible atrocity in, in, in American history, well, what are you saying as you know a Black woman regarding Black life? That, that gives us a whole different tangent down the abortion you know, right. narrative, but you can't say that you are pro-Black life and yet be in support of what kills more black children than or more black people than any other, you know, ill. Are you are you upset? Are you upset that Roe versus Wade was reversed? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Mm-mm. Or would you say that you're a pro life? Now or how yes. would you put it? Or, okay. Yeah. Is that the biblical view you think on abortion? I, I mean believe- abortion doesn't really directly say, but I mean sorry, what what did I just say? Uh, the Bible doesn't exactly say anything about abortion, does it? Or well, we are told not to murder. Okay. And so part of the way that I think about it is anything else, scientifically, anything else that has like, that is a single celled organism would be considered living. And yet when, <laughs> right, right. when we look at the cells of, um, of an unborn human, of a fetus or a zygote, um, it had they have DNA. There mm-hmm. is there's more than enough evidence to show that it is life. But one we of us? just yes, one of the human family. Okay, yes, we just don't we won't allow those cells to be considered life or living. It is just a, just a clump of cells. Well, if you left it alone. Right. You, would, you know, eventually you, you get yes. someone like you or like you, would you, you know? say, yeah. Would you say that an unborn human child is, has the same value and dignity as George Floyd in terms of being yes. human, human yes. rights? Yeah. Okay. All right. I just wanted to get the same, get that. That's, that's how much you're saying this is it's this, when you say a unborn is one of us, it's the same kind of issue. It's the same kind. Okay. They, they have, unborn children have equal dignity, value, and worth. Humans have That's equal dignity, equality. value, and worth. That is a radical equality because you can't see them. You can't, like, unlike a slave, you could see a slave. So there was a lot of, uh, most people don't see an abortion. They don't see what that is. Mm-hmm. 
but you could see a slave you could see the scars for example and that was used to end slavery so that's a radical equality that you have there well i think it goes down to the definition of a human person okay which you know and these are things that i'm that i'm still unraveling in my mind and i was pro choice for a very long time were you um, really okay mm-hmm. but, even at biola oh yeah is that common at biola i don't know yeah. how common it is okay. um i know that i was i don't yeah i couldn't really speak into that but i do mm-hmm. think that it it depends on how you see a human person okay would would you um you you mentioned before we started recording use the term woke mm-hmm. and i don't think i've heard you say it this uh interview but you, uh, for everybody listening monique um was talking about wokeness at biola you care to say what you said i don't remember what i said you said <laughs> something about uh you were not woke and some people don't know what woke means they hear the term but what does that mean and how is your relation to it? What, what's woke mean? I think woke um, gets thrown around a lot right now, but truthfully, if you're woke, you're aware of the justice issues within a community. But today- So there's a true woke and then there's a false woke, kind of? I don't know that. I would have to think about that. Um, Do you think of woke as a good thing or a bad thing? Today, I think it's being seen as a bad thing. Like the a lot of the social justice conversation has landed with the stay woke, be woke, I'm woke. I'm but but that is meant to say that I am aware of all of the racial injustices that I I know that systemic racism is real. I know that um, you know, all of these culturally um, defined injustices are happening. So I'm going to stay woke. I'm going to stay aware of all of this. I'm going to, you know, do my part to advocate and, you know, all of those things. I think originally the term really just meant to be aware of injustice, which I think Christians should be. Yeah. We should be aware of injustice. Uh, would, what about this Kindy guy? The anti-racism thing. I went. I went. Needed to wrap that up. Uh, what? What? What's that all about? What's being anti-racist about? Being anti-racist. It. Well, one. Um, according to Kendi, there is no. I'm not a racist. Okay. So. <laughs> right. You, you can't just not be racist. Um, being anti-racist. Um, is actively advocating for equitable policies that, um, that eliminate disparity. So I, as an anti-racist, it, gosh, it's, it's so convoluted because according to Kendi, being anti-racist is not simply being, um, against racism or speaking out against racism. It encompasses all of these other social theories. So I'm, I can't, in one of the lines in his (laughs) book, I feel like the next step is to say, no, I'm not a, you can't just be an anti non anti or you can't just be an anti-racist. You have to be a pro anti, I don't know, you, adding you, stuff to it. You have, well, his, his definition of anti-racism is all encompassing. So he says you can't be anti-racist and not be feminist. 
you know, you can't be an anti-racist and not support the LGBTQ plus movement. These things are all tied together. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, it's a bunch of, basically you have to be a Democrat. That's pretty much what it is, right? I don't know that he would consider himself a Democrat. I, I don't know that for sure. Republican? Um, Definitely not. (laughs) Um, But I, I think that when we just look at the policies and the way people in leadership are addressing these things, even down to Kamala Harris's equitable, um, that little commercial she did about equity, I would say that that is much in line with a lot of um, Kinsey or those who uphold the critical social theories. Um, it sounds like you have really matured a lot since you voted for Obama. To me, there's like, I just feel like, do you feel like you're kind of a different person now than you were? Oh yeah, definitely. You sound, Um, you don't sound old at all. I don't mean to say you sound old. You sound, but see, if I say mature, it sounds like I'm saying you sound old. I mean that in the best way. You sound like you're growing in wisdom. But isn't that what we're called to? Like biblically, isn't that what we're called to? We're we're called to, you know, be wise. We're called to 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 what what does Proverbs say? Like let wisdom hang like a pearl, like pearls around your neck. Like you're you're meant to participate in wisdom when you are young. That's when it says that you're full of foolishness or folly. You can't you can't just you know hold on to the childish ways of your youth. You when we are informed biblically we should continue to grow. We should continue to be challenged in our understanding. Like there's just ways in which the scriptures call us to live. And if you're not living that way, I would say you need, you should probably get into a community of believers that challenges you to grow and develop. And if you're not being challenged in your life or in your sin or anything like that, you might want to find another community. Hmm. And they're out there. They're available. Monique Dusan with the Center of Bibli- for Biblical Unity. We'll link all that stuff up in the, the notes. We thank you so much for spending such a quality time with us, some, such a non-hurried discussion and for giving so much of yourself, your real self to us today. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you so much. I'm so glad are. to be here. Thank you.